Hashem, Hashem, Naseh, Benatzliach, Shir Torah, good to be back. We're in Aventura, Baruch Hashem, the Breslov Center. We have a shiur, we have a lot of uh, news today, Baruch Hashem. Uh, we have, uh, it's been, Baruch Hashem, a very, very good day. Lots of uh, big things happened, lots of big announcements. I uh, would have loved to see more of you guys in front of me, but I'm sure some of you guys are going to come late. But uh, today's shiur... Before I forget, because I always uh, forget these things, today's shiur will be for a Ilui uh, Nishmat, Aaron Ben Chano. May Hashem raise his higher and higher in Gan Eden. Uh, also for a Refua uh, Shlema to Debbie Bat Yafa, Levana Bat Sarah, Sarah Bat Levana, Ovadia Ben Levana. Uh, Aviva Bat uh, Sarah, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Esria, Asaf Ben Avraham, Rudlins Ben, Yos- ben Yosef, Elisheva Chaya Bat Sarah, and uh, all of Am Yisrael will have Refua Shlema, Refuat Anefesh, Refuat Aguf. So today we're going to continue the uh, lecture that uh, the same Mishnah that we started last week, the Mishnah in Avot, Hey um, Chaf uh, Bet, 5:22, about uh, how to be the Emunah of a Tzadik. The Emunah of a Tzadik is a little bit more uh, difficult to attain than uh, we thought. It's not just about uh, believing, believing, believing. And everything is going to be okay. Uh, but before that, wanted to give you guys some uh, some updates, some big updates, Baruch Hashem. Uh, first off, as you see in your uh, tables, there is a uh, the uh, number two in Alon Kodesh. Uh, just came out today, Baruch Hashem. The first one was a big hit last week. Uh, this uh, today came out with number two. We have some more... Uh, uh, some more of the stuff that I wrote, some Rav Ephraim, uh, Rav uh, Chaim, uh, Rav uh, Yosef Chaim Mizrahi, also uh, Rav Eliyahu Ben Chaim, the uh, Av Bedin in, uh, in New York, um, and with uh, Hashem, some, uh, some from Rabbi Niyot, Rabbi Tzara, Rabbi Shulamit. So a lot of interesting things. Most of it is in Hebrew, with the exception of my, of my article, but with Hashem, it's going to be a little bit more English in the future. Uh, will uh, apparently a lot of siyat dishmaya with this uh, with this alone. It got a lot of feedback, and uh, last week it went out to maybe about thirty thousand people in uh, in Israel, and probably a hundred thousand or so some other in other places. And it got the attention of some big rabbis. It got the attention of some big talmidei chachamim. They liked it. Uh, one uh, one particular rabbi made me laugh. Um, he uh, he asked. Brother Ephraim, how come you didn't ask me to, uh, to write something in the Alon, in the newsletter? And, uh, this was a specific rabbi that, uh, no need to mention his name, it's a rabbi that uh, didn't, wasn't there for us when we needed him, put it that way. So Brother Ephraim told him, listen, you know, we're doing something else, da, 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 and everything else, but apparently the point I'm trying to tell you is that, uh, I don't know, there's so many newsletters out there, there's so many, uh, so many uh, different things written, writing on the internet, and subscribers, and everybody has a newsletter today, but apparently, 
This one has a lot of siyata dishmaya. So the second one came out today. Uh, you'll see my my uh, writing uh, was uh, a, you know it's going to be multi-part, just like our lectures. Uh, talking about this, the first one is a little bit of a reality check for every one of us. Every one of us that is looking for happiness, uh, as that's the common denominator on every human being on earth. We're all looking to attain happiness. Some believe that they can attain it through money. Some think they can attain it through different types of success. Some through marriage, some through children, some through different types of adrenaline rushes or drugs and so on and so forth. But the reality is the more you delve into the root of happiness, the more you realize that people are looking for the right thing but in the wrong address. Uh, so uh, the first part is to uh, get us to think a little bit, get us to think about where we stand. Where do we stand? What are we doing? Um, because if you're already in this world 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and uh, when you say, Modani lefanecha, in the morning you say, thank you Hashem for bringing my neshama back, you don't really mean it. You're just doing it because the rabbi said it's, you're supposed to, and then there's a problem. If you're not excited to be alive, there's a problem. Now, of course, you're going to tell me and you're going to tell yourself, yeah, but I have a lot of problems. That's the point of that article, to talk about your problems. And Bezat Hashem, if you read it, you'll see what we think about those problems. What does the Torah think about those problems? And with different Torah sources, Bezat Hashem, the next alone, hopefully, with Hashem Yeritzeh, is going to give us the ability to do it next week. So we'll see, we'll see. So that's the first thing. So the Alona Kodesh, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, there's Alona Kodesh. Alon means newsletter. Uh, but uh, Kodesh means holy. But Alon also sounds like Aron. Aron means ho- the ark. So the holy ark. Kind of coined a uh, you know, clever name. Alona Kodesh. So we'll have other rabbis. We already have another rabbi that uh, is going to be a nice surprise uh, next time. Uh, but we'll have, we'll have some other ones, different types of writings, different types of things. Also, another Rabbanit uh, is going to be uh, added to it. Uh, we're not adding just anyone that wants to write. So if you write, don't ask me, can you add me? I'm not, that's, I, only if I know you. If I know you and I know you really, really well, and meaning that I could vouch for you, that if we go to Bet Din and say, can you be a witness for him? I say yes. So if I don't know you like that, don't ask me, can you, can you add me to my the alone? Don't ask me. I don't, want, I don't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation uh, to tell you no. It's not, it's, not, it's not that type of newsletter. I'm not just adding people just because I'm looking to build a newspaper or something. Uh, it's, a, it's people that I know that have Yirat Shamaim, that I know that uh, they teach, and they, and they know what they're talking about. Um, there's already me there, so already we're, we're already at, uh, we're capped at people who don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but anyway... Uh, so that's one of the big news. Uh, the other big news we get, Baruch Hashem, every day, Hashem gives us some chizuk. Every day Hashem gives us chizuk. Different people from around the world send uh, mail, text, phone calls, all types of things telling us uh, they did shuvah because of the shiurim. So one of the people that uh, I sent him, this, one of my students, who Baruch Hashem is in yeshiva in, uh, in Yerushalayim for the last couple of months, uh, told me, you, don't, you wouldn't believe what you just did, what a big mitzvah you just did. I said, Baruch Hashem, I don't know what I did, I just sent you an alon, sent you a newsletter on a text message, I didn't really think it's such a big ma'ala, but thank you. 
And then later on, he tells me, you don't understand, I was really having a tough day, I was thinking about sinning, what kind of sins. He says, when I got to my weakest moment, that's when you sent it to me. at work. And it's nice to be the messenger. It's nice to be the messenger. He says, as soon as I got the message, Baruch Hashem, all the nerves calmed, the Yitzhah ran away. He went to the diff- different town, and Baruch Hashem had the tshuva again. So it's good, it's good, it's good to get news like that. Following that, I got probably one of the nicest uh, messages in the, uh, the last couple of weeks at least, uh, about a person that uh, discovered our teachings and uh, decided that he wants to, uh, he's in the process of converting already, and his mom turned to a Noahide. Now why, what, is, what makes this one any more special than the hundreds of others that tell me they want to convert or they did convert and so on? So this one is actually a Muslim. This one was born Muslim. This was born this guy, uh, young young guy, was born in Egypt. Now, uh, anyone that's in the in the Torah world will tell you that the rarest thing you're ever going to find is a Muslim that converts to Judaism. The rarest thing, because even if they believe it, still they know that if their friends, their family, their community knew about it, they killed them. Like you can't convert to Judaism in Iran. Or in, a, uh, or in uh, Egypt, or in Saudi Arabia, or any of these places. They'll kill you. So when you hear that people of Amash are learning Torah, and they're willing to put their life on the line, it's Shabbat Shimolad. Now, Baruch Hashem, he lives in, uh, in the United States now, and he's able to convert. They already met with the rabbis, and so on. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful how somebody can turn on, he's looking for the truth, and Hashem provides them on a silver platter. You know, and uh, he uh, watched a few of my shiurim. In one of the shiurim, he says that I uh, mentioned the uh, video by uh, Rav Yosef Mizrahi, the Torah and Science. He watched that. And after that, that uh, sealed any doubt that was remaining. He showed it to his mom. His mom, she said, I'm on board also. And that's it. They're in the process of converting, Baruch Hashem. So to see that the, the, the emet is coming out is amazing. Now, this too, what I just said to you, is also in the Torah. What I just said to you is also in the Torah. Where? In Tehilim. Hashem in, the, uh, in, in Psalm 85, verse 12, Hashem says, So Hashem says, in Tehilim number 85, verse 12, The Emet, the truth will sprout from the earth and righteousness will peer from heaven. Now what is a uh, truth? Is it a flower? A seed? What do you mean? Why, why, why does the truth have to sprout from the earth? Shouldn't they should say the truth came from the books? The truth came from Mount Sinai. It's high. It's not, it's not on the ground. It's high. It's high. Mount Sinai, even though it was the lowest mountain, the humble mountain, still it's much higher than we are. Just say, the Emet came from Mount Sinai. The Emet comes from heaven. The Emet comes from the Beknesset. I don't know. Some, the last thing you would think is Emet is coming from the ground. What does it mean, Emet coming from the ground? David Melech is giving us a nevoah. David Melech is giving us a prophecy of what's going to happen at the end of times. The Gemara Masechet Sotah, page 49b, says that before Mashiach comes, Chutzpah Tizgeh is going to be an extraordinary amount of rudeness and there's going to, people are going to hate the emet. People are going to hate it. They're going to hate the truth. 
David HaMelech says, all that's going to happen, but there's good news. No matter how much you try to bury the emet with your falsehoods, with all the false teachings and all the nonsense that's in the world, no matter what, emet in the end, titzmach. Eventually it's going to come out. What For who? For the person that's looking for it. For the person that's looking for it. And this week's parasha, parashat Vayetchanan, Hashem continues or begins this nevoah. Who, who does it come to? In uh, chapter 4 of this week's parasha, parashat Vayetchanan, Hashem says, From there you will seek Hashem your God and you will find Him. If you search for Him with all of your heart and all of your soul. When you are in distress and all the things have befallen you at the end of days. So this week's parasha, as usual, always talks about our life today. Every week she talks about our life today. And Hashem says, if you look for me, you'll find me. But only if you look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. So what about if uh, all the uh, rabbis that I know of are liars? All they ask for is money. But to give me the emet, not so much. They want to call me a tzaddik even though they know I drive on Shabbat. They call me, they call me a tzaddik even though my uh, non-Jewish wife or husband is right next to me. Tzaddik, tzaddikah. Yeah, yeah, come, tzaddik, tzaddikah. You built a beknesset. We'll put your name on there. Yeah, but you're intermarried. You're mechalel Shabbat. You're stealing in your business. You're doing all types of things that are not allowed. How you call him a tzaddik? No, it's a uh, gift stakai. It's good. Like one, one, uh, one rabbi in New York told me, calls himself a rabbi. He says, the only mitzvah this generation has to do is gift stakai. I said, where does it say it in the Torah? He goes, no, no, the Rebbe said it. I said, no, he didn't. The Lubavitch Rebbe was a tzaddik, Yorasha. Don't say things in his name. A lot of people say things in the Rebbe's name, or Rabbi Nachman's name, all types of rabbis' names. Don't believe any of it. Only believe what's in a book. If it's in a book, then you have something. And even then you have to double check. Even then you have to double check. There's a lot of books today that are full of lies. That's why the Chafetz Chaim told his students, listen, if you take one of my chidushim, if you take one of my chidushim that I wrote, and you put your name on it, that's okay. Don't worry. I don't, I don't take offense to it. If you take one of my chidushim I wrote, and you put your name on it, it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you. Just make sure you don't put my name on your chidushim, though. Don't put my name on your chidushim. Why? My chidushim, I know they're right. So it doesn't make a difference if people know I wrote it, or you wrote it, or somebody else. I know it's right. Why? I toiled and toiled in the Torah until I made sure it's right. But Yochidushim, I don't know. Don't put my name on it. So David HaMelech says, Emet Meretz Titzmach, the Emet is going to come out, the Emet is going to come out no matter how much you spend, no matter how much effort you exert to bury the Emet, eventually it's going to come out. Now if that wasn't enough amazing news, Baruch Hashem, after almost two years, two years of working Two years, mamash, of Mesirut Nefesh by Tim Hashem. Uh, mamash, honestly, it's the biggest thing we've done. I've been doing this for about four or five years. It's the biggest project Be'ezrat Hashem has ever done. I can't believe it actually it's happening. But Baruch Hashem, after two years of working and mamash going back and forth and redoing and breaking and changing and everything else, our official Be'ezrat Hashem app is launched. It's out, Baruch Hashem. It's out. It's extraordinary. You can go to the App Store right now and download it. Please do. It's better than going to anywhere else. If you want to watch our shiurim, it's better than going to anywhere else. If you want to watch Torah, 
for several reasons. I'm going to give you a little bit of a uh, thing about it. Well, first and foremost, you don't have to worry about all the uh, disgusting things that unfortunately get recommended on YouTube. As much as we uh, appreciate that we have our shiurim on YouTube and almost a million people have watched our shiurim on YouTube over the last few years, the reality is is that still many people that watch the shiurim, they have recommendations on the side or a commercial or something else. And sometimes those commercials or those recommendations are not sanua, they're not uh, modest. So the last thing we want somebody to do is to watch a shiur Torah and then uh, see something immodest. But it's not up to us. Uh, so the same thing with Facebook. The same thing with uh, anything else. Now, uh, the reality is, is that the only way that we could do it is by developing our own app. But developing your own app is not so simple. Even though people say, no, no, a few months you're finished. If you want to develop a real app, something that works, something that's up-to-date, something that will actually uh, will encourage you guys to continue coming back. It takes a while. It's a huge investment in Baruch Hashem. It's out. Uh, it's going to have a lot of updates also coming soon. We'll do a lot of interesting things. few features about the app that are my favorite. Uh, first of all, it's very fast, Baruch Hashem. It's very fast. You don't ha- you're not feeding off of YouTube. Initially, that's what was the original idea, was to feed off of YouTube. So in essence, really all it was, was just a place that you can just click on a link and it's, that it feeds off of YouTube. The problem with that is that if your internet is slow or your internet has problems, then you can't watch anything. And it's, it's just like, it's like a middleman. So when you feed off of YouTube or any other feed, it's usually not fast. So this doesn't feed off of YouTube. Number two, you can download the lecture if you want. You can download the lecture... Number three, you could download just the audio. You don't need to watch it. You don't have to uh, watch my, uh, my beard every week. You could just listen to the words. That's all that matters. You could even pretend I'm somebody else if you don't like me. Just pretend that I'm saying somebody else, but it's the same Torah. So you could just download the audio. You could, or better yet, the best part of the entire app, in my opinion, is the fact that you could listen to the app, you could listen to the audio while using your phone. So if you're doing your job, or you're talking to somebody, or you need to do other stuff, you, you don't have to, like in YouTube, or, uh, or other places, what happens is you're listening to a shield Torah, then you have to do something else. Somebody texts you, somebody calls you, somebody this. Something happens, so you have to shut off the app, go there, and, you know, Satan already said, oh, la petah chatat rovet, you opened me a little door, that's it, I'm taking over the whole building. That's what Hashem said to Cain. You don't do tshuva now for this uh, miserable korban that you just gave me, you're leaving an opening to the Satan. You leave an opening for him, he's going to take over the whole house eventually. So here, we're not giving the Satan any opening. You want to listen to the app while you do your other job, your other work, your other stuff, you continue listening to it all day, wherever you are. Yeah? Android Bezat Hashem is coming out in about two months, three months. Uh, we're working on that. It's a different platform, but since it's already ready, it'll take a lot less time. Bezat Hashem. Uh, also, you have uh, my, my lectures, you have Brother Freiman's lectures, you have Hebrew, you have English. You're also going to have Alona Kodesh there, the, the newsletter is, is there. It's also going to be a place where you're going to be able to ask questions. I, a lot of you ask me questions on WhatsApp and on the email and so on. This is Bezat Hashem, we're going to try to transition where all the questions are going to be on this app. And the reason why, and also it's going to go to the website, the reason why is because we're going to publicize the actual questions and the answers. So that way, I, a lot of times, 
I get asked the same question 900 times. Now, it takes, now you don't know I, the, uh, that I answered it 900 times. So you ask the question. So the thing is, though, is that now we're going to have a terminal. We're going to store all of these questions. And people are going to be able to see the answers for pretty much every question that they have, whether it's a lacha or it's a ashkafa or whatever it is. Uh, you could also put your tshuva stories. How'd you get chizuk in the shiurim? Uh, is also going to be. Uh, there's also a store. You could uh, buy uh, tefillin, mezuzot. You could sponsor CDs. You could donate. Uh, my, you know, another amazing thing that took us alone. Just this took us almost six or eight months. Is that you could actually donate through Apple Pay. So unlike uh, any other app that I'm familiar with. Where if you want to donate, let's say, uh, to Torah anytime or to, uh, I don't know, Chabad or oh, Aish or any of these other places, uh, that you have to, you press, there's a donate button on the app, and it takes you to their website. So then you have to fill out everything, you know, your name, your address, your this, your that, and your everything else. Which is fine, that's what people do. Here, we're making it even easier for you to give us your money. How? Just Apple Pay. Why? All you got to do is just, you already have a credit card in your Apple machine. So all you got to do is just decide how much money you want to donate for Kiruv. So this is a major feature, believe it or not. It took a long time to get approved. Uh, but Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, it's a, uh, after everything that uh, we uh, tried to do and did and everything else, Hashem told Apple, let it go. Let it go. Let my people go. So Baruch Hashem, the, the, the app is out. You can download it. There's going to be other features coming in the future. Uh, things like augmented reality, uh, where you're going to be uh, seeing different ways to do mitzvot, but through, I don't know how to explain, a visual effect. Uh, augmented reality, it's different. Look it up. It's, it's a, uh, the developer is very passionate about it, and I, uh, I would love to see it be used for Torah. And uh, many, many other things, Bezat Hashem, are coming, but so far, everything I just told you is already on it. Uh, and there's going to be many, many other things coming. So we waited a long time to release it because we wanted to, uh, we wanted to have uh, a real app. We wanted to have something good. So it takes more time, takes more investment, takes more effort, takes more mesihut nefesh, takes more begging for Hashem to help us. But Baruch Hashem, we finally had the siyat dishmaya to uh, have it released, and it's very, very exciting. This will help each and every single one of you you know, go straight to Torah without uh, having the Yetzirah interfere. There's playlists. There is, if you want to, you know, for example, learn specifically about modesty, there's a playlist for modesty. You want to learn uh, specifically about wasting seed, there's a playlist for wasting seed. Uh, playlist for Musa uh, Perkevot, there's a playlist for Musa Perkevot. Playlist for Bezat Hashem films, the Torah films that we have, you have that too. And that's the next piece of news. Right now, Baruch Hashem, we have four ready films. Ishtabach Shimolad. We have four films ready, finished, completed. We got the approval. We got everything else. It's just really a matter of releasing them. Uh, so the team has been working nonstop. Amash, I don't think anybody sleeps on the team. Everybody's Eliyahu Navi. No one sleeps. No one eats. No one has any time to, to, to do anything except bring Torah to Am Yisrael. Titen emet liyakov. Give Yaakov emet. It seems like Hashem is using Be'ezat Hashem as a, as a vehicle to, to give emet to Am Yisrael because there's not, not a day goes by before, you know, without getting another story, another tshuva story, another person doing tshuva, another person getting kizuk, another person you know, taking on another mitzvah, getting married, and so on and so forth. Every day it's something. And to be honest with you, 
part of what we're going to talk about in this Mishnah today, it's actually that it's very necessary. It's very necessary to be generous with your words. Money, that's something that you have to work on sometimes. Some people like their money more than they like their life. But with words, you have no excuse. Because words don't cost anything, like my father says. Words don't cost anything. That's why a lot of people talk a lot, but don't do much. So with that being said, as a, uh, as a uh, uh, celebration for the enormous amount of Kiruv that's now going to be able to be done anywhere in the world, anyone that wants this app can get it, Australia, a, uh, uh, Israel, wherever, you can download it. We're also going to be uh, giving out, whoever wants to become a distributor of our CDs, to actually give them out, we're going to be giving out uh, another uh, 10,000 CDs as a celebration for, for this huge monumental things that's happening at Bezad Hashem. So each person that wants to get some CDs, you can email me your name, your address, tell me a little bit about your community, and we'll send you 100 CDs for free. If you want more, uh, then, uh, you know, if I know you and I know that you're reliable, then, you know, most likely we'll give you more. But if I don't know you, it's a new community, then we'll start off with 100 for free, see how you do with them. And if you're able to give them out right away, then we'll send you more. We have no problem of sending you more. It's just that I don't want to send. Sometimes I send people a CD, and then I talk to them a year later, and they still have the CDs. You know, this, no one's doing tshuva if the CDs are in my warehouse. And it's definitely, definitely not doing tshuva if it's in your house. It's all, people are only doing tshuva if those CDs are being distributed. So you take a box, there's 25 in there, there's 50 in there. You put it in your shul, you put it in the uh, kosher market, you put it in different places. And Hashem, you have people take the CD to do tshuva. So anyone that wants it, if you watch the shoe up to now, you already deserve a big thank you for watching us, Baruch Hashem. And uh, just like this uh, Stephen from Australia, Steve is the most recent signer for the monthly program. Uh, he's all the way from Australia. Imagine, somebody from Australia it takes almost 25 hours to get there on a plane. They want me to do a lecture in Australia. And I looked at the flight. It's 25 hours to get there. To get to, just to get, I'm not talking about like, oh, the time change and time difference. I used to have clients in Australia. Nice place. But to get to Australia, is 25 hours. Imagine, Stephen over here is in Australia. Stephen is in Australia. And he's watching Ashurim, and he signed up to the monthly program, Bo Hashem. Every month he wants to donate to Kiruv. Why? Because he knows it's not going to my pocket. Where is it going to? It's going to people like him. So people in Australia can watch Shurei Torah, do Tshuva, get closer to Hashem, and get to Gan Eden. That's the point. So people, people that understand the mission, people that understand what we're doing here, they understand that the biggest investment should not be your stock portfolio. should not be Bitcoins. Should not be your car or your house. It should be Am Israel. Because that's the only thing that's gonna last. The rest of it, after you go, they're gonna sell it. That big house you build, and you like it so much with the kitchen and everything else, fine, enjoy your house. But don't think it's gonna last so no one's gonna care about your house after you leave this world. The only gonna care about how much it's worth, so they're gonna sell it. So if you can invest all your time and all your energy into these physical material assets. At the very least, you should consider investing some money in Ta'am Israel because that's the only thing you could take with you after you leave this world. So, I actually took special pleasure in uh, hearing the story today from, uh, from uh, Ahmed bin Muhammad. 
Ahmed bin Muhammad is Baruch Hashem going to be a, a Jew soon. Imagine, someone's related to Muhammad is going to be a Jew. Imagine that. The Quran says go kill Jews. The Quran says, hey, you're Muslim, you're Muslim, you're, the Jew is behind, behind the tree. Go kill him. That's what it says in the Quran. Go kill him. The Jew, they call us pigs and monkeys. In the Quran they say, they say we're pigs and monkeys. It says the Jew is hiding behind the tree, go kill him. Who's saying this? The tree, like the tree is talking to the Muslim. What are they trying to say? The tree and the Muslim have the same brain. So Baruch Hashem, once in a while there's a diamond in the rough. Who? Ahmed bin Muhammad. Ahmed bin Muhammad is going to be a Jew of Hashem soon. So you imagine somebody that wants the truth gets it. This is the beauty, Rabotai. This is the beauty. The Seder. So with that intro behind us, let's get into our shoe. So uh, the Mishnah in Avot here says something extraordinary. We'll go over briefly what we went over last week, briefly. And uh, then we'll start delving into uh, the second part of the Mishnah. And most likely this will be a uh, multi-part Mishnah. We'll probably continue this Mishnah tomorrow and even next week possibly, depending on how deep we go into it. So the Mishnah in Avot says, Kol ויודעים לבאר שחת שנאמר, ואתה אלוהים תורידם לבאר שחת, אנשי דמי ומרמה לא יחצו ימיהם, ואני אפתח בך. Translation. Whoever has the following three traits is among the disciples of our forefather Avram. And whoever has the three different traits is among the disciples of the wicked Bilam. Those who have a good eye, a humble spirit and an undemanding soul are the disciples of our forefather Avraham. Those who have an evil eye, an arrogant spirit and a greedy soul are the disciples of the wicked Bil'am. How are the disciples of our forefather Avraham different from the disciples of the wicked Bil'am? The disciples of our forefather Avraham enjoy the fruits of their de- good deeds in this world and inherit Olam Abba, the world to come. As it says in Proverbs 8.21, to cause those who love me to inherit an everlasting possession, meaning Olam Abba, and I will fulfill their storehouses, meaning in this world. But the disciples of the wicked Bil'am inherit Genom and descend into the well of destruction, as it is said in Psalm 55.24, And you, O God, shall lower them into the well of destruction, Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days, but as for me, I will trust in you. So that's the entire Mishnah. So far we only went over the first sentence and a half, which went like this. Whoever was the following three traits is among the disciples of Avraham Avinu. And whoever has... A th- Three opposite traits, different traits, is among the disciples of Bilam. So we went, compared and contrasted a little bit 
between what does it mean to be the Talmud of Avram, and what does it mean to be the Talmud of Bilam? Who is Avram? Who is uh, Bilam? We see that Avram is very easy to describe because, in essence, Judaism began with him. Avram Avinu was a person that Masar Nafsho, he sacrificed his life, literally from the minute that he had Da'at, from the minute that he had the ability to think for himself. And the Midrash and Me'am Loyah says that it was at three years old he already discovered God with no books. His father was hiding him in a cave. He came out of a cave one day, he looked at the sun, he thought the sun was God. When the sun went down and the moon came up, he said, oh, the moon is stronger. So he says, oh, so the moon is God. As time went by, the sun came back. He says, oh, so it can't be that the uh, moon, the sun, it can't be either one of them. So who is God? And he kept looking, but the fact that he was already three years old and thinking like this already shows us that he's not your three years old like today's three years old. As much as I love my three-year-old daughter, she's not Avraham Avinu. Why? The brain of Avraham Avinu at three years old was more complex, more advanced, more sophisticated than the smartest man on earth today. Adult. Can't compare the two. And this is the reason that when he was looking for Hashem, Hashem peaked, the Midrash says, and said, you looking for me? You looking for me? The homeowner. The homeowner peeked in and says, Oh, you're looking for me? That's me. So here we see that Avraham Avinu already discovered God at three years old. Now, God didn't speak to him fully at that moment, like he did later on. But nonetheless, Avraham understood that Hashem runs the world. There are many people today that are 30 years old and 40 years old and 50 years old that still don't know whether God is real or not. Sometimes they're Jewish and sometimes they're not Jewish. Sometimes they're secular and sometimes they're religious. Believe it or not, there are many religious people that don't believe in God. But they do. They act out on the religion because they grew up this way became like a minag, like a custom. Just like if you go to different parts of Africa, if you go into the jungle, you're going to see a bunch of people walking around underwears, even if, they, if they're female. They only have an underwear on. Why? That's their minag. Their minag is to run around like uh, an underwears. That's it. That's all they wear. They just wear underwears. And they still use spears from the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Stone Ages. And they light fire with, uh, with rocks in the jungle. They met. They still live like this. And in order for them to get water, they dig into the ground. And even if you show them some modern technology, some of them don't want it. Some of them don't want it. Why? They like their minagim. They like their minagim. They like their customs. They're accustomed to it. Laavdil, a Yehudi, that the world exists for him, is not supposed to just like the minagim. He's supposed to connect to them. Unfortunately, some of us pressed stop at the minagim, at the customs, and we didn't ask any questions. Why do we do any of this stuff? That's why a lot of times you're going to see different customs, different minagim that people do, and they don't really know why. Like, for example, if you ever see a Jew wearing a red string on his arm, 
Ask him, where'd you get that from? I'll tell you, Yerushalayim, Tveria, some one of these uh, places. Uh, I got Kivret Sadikim at the Arizal, I got it at uh, this place, that place. I said, okay, so what, what is it? So, oh, it's Kedushah, it's Mitzvah, it's, uh, you don't understand, oh, it's it. Show me. Show me where it says in the Torah everything you just said. Show me the source of this red string in the Torah. Oh, I don't know, I'll check for you. Okay, check, I'll wait. Call, who gave it? Who sold it to you? Call. Find it. I'll give you a thousand dollars if you find a source in the Torah. But I can't give you a source for it. I can't give you a source for the red string. Where? Abu Zarah. Idol worship. Idol worship, I give you a source. I give you a hundred sources of idol worship for the red strings. Judaism, Torah, zero. Doesn't exist. But it's a minag, it's a Jewish minag. <laughs> it's not a Jewish minag. People say it's Jewish. Why? Because they want to make some money. Yeah, what about the religious guy selling it uh, by the graves? He's selling hundreds of them. Yeah, he wants. He likes money. He likes money more than God. So, you have to ask questions. You have to ask questions. And I, uh, I see that a lot of times, the people that have confusion, whether it's because they, you know, grew up religious but then fell off, or they were never religious and then went back in and back out and back in and back out, usually... It's as a result of them never really caring enough to know the truth. They just decided they want to be atheists. They decided they want to be secular. They don't actually have any real proof. Like they'll tell you, yeah, but prove to me that God exists. I said, prove to me he doesn't. Prove to me he doesn't. Oh, it's different. The reality is, is that it takes a lot more faith to believe that everything in the world came from nothing, than to believe that a creator created all of it and runs all of it. And if you already believe that the creator runs all of it and created all of it, then why are you limiting him that he has to create it your way? That the uh, egg had to come before the chicken and the chicken had to come before the egg. Like, why does he have to be your... If he's already big enough and strong enough to create all of it, why does it have to be your way? Who are you? Your creation. And those are the types of questions that the atheists don't ask. They also don't ask if, let's say, for example, we all came from a monkey. Why is the monkey still here? Bimit, what is he, like a retarded human being? Like, what's the matter with him? How come he didn't advance with the rest of us? What happened to him? And what about the rest of the people in between? You know, there must have been at least five or six stages between the monkey and the human being according to these atheists. Like, where's the rest of the people? Where are they, like, in, in, like, Arkansas or something? Like, there's, like, a special place over there? That they, they hide all the people that are in the middle stages? Or maybe they put them in Africa, or in Chile. In Chile, maybe there's, like, a section. Or maybe Venezuela. That's why they take off. There's nothing. You can't record. You can't do anything in Venezuela anymore. Maybe that's because they're hiding all the people in the middle. Like, where's the people in the middle? See, these types of questions, they get you riled up. But the reality is, these are all common sense questions. It's all common sense. It's no genius here. It's no chidush. But the atheist is never going to ask. Why is he not going to ask? Because he's not interested in the answer. He's not interested in the answer. He's interested in justifying his behavior just like the secular person that says he loves God and he believes in God but he doesn't feel like being religious. Why? It's not for me. It's not for me. At least for him it's a little bit of honesty. He says he believes in God but he doesn't feel like being religious because he thinks it's optional. So he never really delved into 
finding out who is this God that he believes in him. So these are all questions that each and every single one of us have to ask. And the reason why you have to ask also the same questions, even if you claim to believe in God, is because if God is real, and his, your proof is his Torah, then you better do what he says. Because in that same Torah, he says if you don't do it, and instead of not doing it, you treat me with casualness, you treat me like I'm one of your friends, I will treat you with double casualness, meaning there's double punishment. And he goes through a list of different horrible punishments that we went over many times in the past. Anyone that wants to know more details of it should listen to the shiur about Geinom if you're up to that stage. But the point being, Rabotai, if God is real, we can't joke around. This is the beginning. Avraham Avinu already discovered everything I just told you at three years old. Baruch Hashem, we're 30 already we discovered it. It took us a little while longer. But Baruch Hashem, that we had the merit to discover it at some point. Now, what are we going to do with it? Bilam, on the other hand, Bilam, Rasha, it says there wasn't another prophet like Moshe Rabbeinu Israel in Israel. Why is it Israel? Why is there no prophet like Moshe in Israel? Because outside of Israel, the other nation, there was a prophet like Moshe. Who? Bilam. Bilam actually had a power that even Moshe Rabbeinu did not have. Bilam was a genius. Bilam had wisdom superior to anything that we could imagine. Bilam had powers superior to anything that we could possibly imagine. But the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says, Bilam en lo chelek le'olam abba. Bilam has no share of the world to come. Why? Because instead of taking all of this wisdom and all of the gifts that Hashem Yitbarach gave him and using it to become a big tzaddik, using it to fulfill the will of Hashem, Bilam used it to fulfill his own desires, his own physical and material desires. Hashem says, okay, so you'll live in one world. You'll live in this world for a temporary amount of time. And you'll forever be remembered as the biggest loser in history. Why? You were given more gifts than any other human being on earth. But you're a loser. And you're in Ganum forever. Imagine. You were gifted. You just won, I don't know, Lavdil. You, you just won a, uh, the lotto. $600 million. I don't know, whatever they, what these days. Every lotto winner is a half a billionaire until they become a millionaire, until they go homeless. They start as homeless, they become a millionaire, a billionaire, and then they become homeless again. It's like a circle, really fast. Almost 90% of them go broke, no matter how much money they win. But imagine, let's say, for example, I don't know, you bought a $1 ticket, according to Moshe Feinstein, you're allowed to buy up to $1. The rest, if you buy more than $1, it's gambling. So all those people that buy the scratch-off tickets, $5, $10, $20, no, no, it's, a, it's fine, it's a game. It's, I'm just enjoying myself. Yeah, you're, you're also uh, going against the Torah. So you know, you're gambling. So anyway, person just, I don't know, he takes one of these tickets, $1, and uh, he gets $500 million. Now everybody's, wow, wow, Shecha, Chazaku Baruch, already you're good-looking, already you're smart. Wow, you have $500 million, of course you're smart. Of course you're good looking. Of course you're everything. You're tzaddik too. Now what about if you won the $500 million and you decide, you know what? 
500 million, maybe it's not going to be enough for retirement. Let me go make quick buck. What? I'm going to go to the casino, put it all on red. Now after you lose it, because they're going to, if you put 500 million, they're going to make sure you lose it. After you lose the 500 million dollars, are you still smart? Are you still good looking? Are you still all these wonderful things? No, you're exactly the opposite. You are officially the biggest loser in the world. Why? You had 500 million dollars in your hand, you moron. What are you doing gambling? What are you doing putting it on red? What are you, what are you at least put it on black? No, baby. Why are you doing putting it on red? What are you doing? What's the matter with you? But the Gemara Masechet Sukkah says no person ever dies with even half of what he wants. Why? Because if you don't control your desires, even $500 million is not going to be enough. Bilam Rasha, why was he Rasha? He never learned to control his desires. He, wanted, he had a desire, he went after it. He had a sexual desire, he went after it. If he didn't have a woman, he'd go with a donkey too. He married a donkey. That was his wife. That's the difference between Avraham and Bilam. Both were given gifts. But one is Tadik Yasod Olam, the other one is Rasha. So what's the difference? Now, Avraham, we went over the first one, the first sign of being the uh, student of Avraham, the descendant of Avraham, is to have a good eye. What does it mean to have a good eye? We went over this a little bit, but first and foremost, I told you guys, having a good eye meaning that you're generous. You're not spending all of your days counting other people's stuff. Unfortunately, today, people love to count other people's money. They talk about other people's money. Oh, you hear what this guy makes? You hear this house that he built? You hear what the contract that he just signed? You hear this, you hear that. Oh, we talk about other people's money all day, all night. People watch the stock market all day just to find out how much other people made. They don't have a dollar in the market. But they're waiting for the news to say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon just lost a billion dollars on bank uh, on, on, on J.P. Morgan because of such and such. And they're like, ah, you hear Jamie Dimon? He's scared. He's scared. He lost a billion. Yeah, he's $20 billion other. What do you care? What do you care that he lost or he made? What do you care? But there's an entire industry, a multi-billion dollar industry built around us counting other people's money. It's an entire industry. They make movies about this. They make programs about this. There's a stock market channel. There's multiple of them. All day you see the ticker. I, trust me, I know. I spent 20 years doing this. There's a ticker on the bottom and every little point that it goes up or it goes down means billions of dollars. Now you're thinking, oh, billions, I didn't make it, so who did? I didn't lose it, so who did? You're always looking, who did, who did? You're waiting for, especially when there's a big move, when the stock went up 10, 20, 30%, you're waiting for the story, for the headlines to tell you, who's the guy that made it? Who's the guy that owned it before all this stuff happened? Why? Ah, wow, Chazaku Baruch. Chazaku Baruch, you had had GE before it went up 30%? Wow, it's a mazal. What luck you have. No, I Hashem, nothing. We mazal. Why is a genius? How do you know he's a genius? Because
worked. What if it went down 50%? So there's an entire industry, entire industry, entire society of counting other people's money. The problem is, is counting other people's money is only half the problem. The other half, the more significant half, is the poison that comes along with it. When you count other people's stuff, it creates a natural jealousy. And jealousy is a spiritual cancer. The Chida, Lava Shalom, says that when a person does not have jealousy, does not suffer from jealousy, because he has a good eye, he literally is curing himself of a spiritual cancer. Spiritual cancer. No cure. Why? Because no matter how much you have, you're always going to find somebody that has more. If you're constantly going to look at the other side of the, of, of the field, you're going to look at the grass on your neighbor's side, you're always going to find it greener. No matter, even if it's black, you're going to find it greener. That's what the Satan's job is to do. As soon as you look at your neighbor's parking lot, you're going to find something there that's better than yours. A better car, a better motorcycle, a better boat, a better garage door, better kids, better looking wife, better looking husband, something, a flower, something. This is why you have many times the people that want to remodel their house before they remodel their house, if they're smart, they become very friendly with their neighbors. Why? Because in many parts of the world, you need to get permission to remodel your house, to expand your house, build another floor, uh, you know, take off trees, build trees, this, that, all these different things. Now, a lot of times these remodeling projects are halted. Why? The neighbor doesn't want you to do it. What does he care? Oh no, he's blocking my vision. What vision? You don't have a window. You can't see anything. No, but in case I wanted to put a window in that wall, he would be blocking my vision. What vision? What do you care? You care because you don't have it. So this natural jealousy is a cancer. It's a spiritual cancer that it's no wonder that the Torah says that a person that dies with this jealousy does not get resurrected with the dead. It's such a midara'ah, it's such an evil inclination. There's no way that you're able to be a tzaddik if you have this midah. It's impossible. All day, you're constantly eating yourself up. And what happens is, is that you start suffering seeing other people succeed. You see the guy who's got a new car, he's like, ah, ganav. What ganav? Why is he a thief? Why? He has a new car, so he has to be a thief? Why? Why is he a thief? Ah, where is he getting the money for this car? He works. Well, like, why? Why does he have to be a thief to get this car? Why does he have to be a thief because to, to get this house? Why does he have to be a thief? Why does he have to be a rasha? Like, why can't he just have success in life? Why? Why? You're the only one that... Uh... Meaning, what happens? When you're jealous, the problem is that you're actually a kofil. You're a kofil, you're a heretic in disguise. Why? Jealousy, in essence, is if you dig deep, deep down in it, means that you think God made a mistake. You think God made a mistake and He gave him 
and he gave her, and he gave them, and not you. Chash v'shalom, you think God made a mistake. So the first thing that the Mishnah says, you want to be even considered to enter the school of Avraham Avinu, remove this inclination from your mind. Stop looking at the other grass. Stop looking on CNBC. Stop looking at other people's houses and their cars. Stop talking about it. Stop thinking about it. If someone says they did such and such, did something, immediately, even if you don't mean it, say, wow, Baruch Hashem, good for them. Even if you don't mean it. Why? Because eventually you're going to mean it. But if every time you hear good news about somebody else, you start suffering inside, you're just killing yourself. So the first thing is to be, have a ayin tova, have a ayin tova when you hear good news. The other thing also is that it means being generous when you're giving. A person, there's a lot of people in the world that unfortunately, they're generous with other people's stuff. They're generous with other people's stuff. I remember when I would send people to my, my company, I would tell people, listen, uh, if you guys uh, want, I'll buy lunch for everybody. Anytime I'm buying lunch for everybody, everybody's getting steaks. Every piece of me is $40, $50, $60 a person. $1,000 for lunch. $2,000 for lunch. Whatever, I said, okay, no problem. But when they're, buying, when they're eating lunch, rice and beans, $5. Why don't you buy steak with your money? Why is it only my money? They're very generous with my money. Very generous with my stuff. People are very generous with other people's stuff. Very generous with other people's stuff. It's a horrible midah. It's a horrible thing to do. You're not supposed to be jealous. With, you're not supposed to be generous with other people's stuff. You're supposed to be generous with your stuff. Your stuff be generous with. Don't be one of these people that, uh, you know, they, for example, I remember we had a, uh, a trade show one time for the hedge fund we ran. And uh, hedge funds, by the way, is for millionaires. It's not for poor people. You deal with millionaires. You don't deal with the average Joe. That's your customer. Your average customer is a millionaire. Your ideal customer is an institution, means a billionaire. So you'd go to these trade shows to meet different millionaires and billionaires and institutions and so on and so forth. And you have a little booth. And you're standing there. You, you have an assistant, you have employees, whatever it is. And you have your presentation material. Plus, everybody has tchotchkes. You know, everybody has like keychains and uh, different little knickknacks. That uh, with your for marketing purposes, for marketing purposes has your logo on it. So the next time he charges the phone, he sees your logo on it, and uh, he says, "Oh, you know what? Let me call your own and invest ten million dollars with him because I have a five dollar charger. Who knows? Uh, oh, mouse pad. Oh, your own event. Okay, let me invest ten million dollars because I have a three dollar mouse pad. That's the thought behind marketing, by the way. The point is, if you're in a business world, is to get people to constantly think about you." If you could somehow tattoo your brand into your, their eyelids, you would do it. That's the point of, of marketing. If you're not marketing yourself, why are you in business? Go work for somebody else. At least they're doing it. So anyway, when we go to these trade shows, we'd have these little knickknacks. And one time we had these iPhone chargers. These iPhone chargers, uh, like uh, car chargers. I don't know, each one cost five bucks. Four dollars, whatever it was at the time, six dollars, whatever it was, and you have you bring a bunch of them. You invest the money as a company, and you want each person comes to your table. You give them one, give them one. Hi, how are you? Da, 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 whatever it is. Now all of these people are millionaires. 
billionaires, that they're rich, they don't need the $5. But what do they do? You know how many times it happened to us? They would come to the table, and come five minutes later, and then come five minutes later, and come five minutes later, and say, can I just have like whatever you have here? It's five dollars, Ribbono Shalom. Go buy your billionaire. Go buy yourself. No, I want to give it out to people. Why are you generous with my stuff? Why are you generous with my stuff? It's a terrible midah. It's a terrible character trait that a lot of people have and it has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with your midot, your character trait. If you have run character traits, you will do such things. You hate to see other people succeed because you feel like the world is limited and if they're succeeding, it's taking away money from your pocket. If they're succeeding, it's taking away money from your pocket. The same thing goes that sometimes you see how people talk. And you see if you have a group of people. There's always, we've talked about this in the past, there's always a guy that likes to make sure that everybody listens to him. He inter- anybody starts talking, he starts uh, start interfering. Why? Because he also has that limited world mentality where he feels like if he says something, then they're going to only like him. They're only going to listen to him. They're not going to listen to me anymore. This limited mindset, this limited world mentality destroys businesses, destroys families, destroys lives. When you think that the world is limited, you've already failed. The most successful people in the world, in the business world at the very least, are people that don't have limits. Meaning, they say, how how much do you want to make? Everything. How much is everything? More than what it is now. Yeah, but you already have a billion dollar company. Yeah, it's not enough. Why? It's not enough? How is it not? They have a big mindset. That doesn't mean that they have big eyes. It's not about greed. It's about realizing that there's a potential is unlimited. Potential is unlimited. Now, when you have a good eye, you're going to help yourself succeed. And the reason why is because already by having a good eye, you're not having a restrictive belief system where you think that other people's success is your failure. In fact, you have the opposite. When you see that when other people succeed, that means you can succeed. If he succeeded, that means that there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. You don't feel like you have to open next door to him. Like a lot of people feel like if he has a shirt store and I want to have a shirt store, I have to open the shirt store right next to him. Why? Because he thinks that because he's successful in this shirt store, it's because of the location of the shirt store, not because of Hashem. It's because of the location of the shirt store. That's why he succeeded. People like that never succeed. In fact, even if they succeed, it's only temporary. I remember having a boss at one point and all he wanted to do was steal other people's ideas. All he wanted to do is steal other people's ideas. Today, unfortunately, this is very normal. People ask, oh, can, can you uh, show me the brochure for such and such place? Why, are you going there? No, I just want to see what they're doing. Why? So I can do the same thing. Why don't you have your own ideas? Why do you only... Listen, if it's once in a while, you saw something, it happened to be, you saw something... And then you, uh, you think it's a good idea, you do it too, it's fine. But if your entire enterprise, your entire life is based on stealing other people's stuff, you have a problem. You have a serious problem because there's no conviction behind your belief. Your only conviction is that you're going to succeed because you're going to steal from them. 
Now, they actually have a conviction. They're doing it for some other reason. So if it fails, and they believe it, maybe it's temporary, so they'll continue. Or if it fails, they know it's a failure, they're going to abandon ship. They're going to know, because they have a conviction behind it. If you're just focusing on stealing, you don't know what the conviction behind is. So what happens? If it fails, and you, according to them, they have the original idea, it's a bad idea, you're still stuck on the ship. You don't know it, they abandon ship. If... If it's temporary failure, or it's just going to take, believe it's going to take more time to succeed, you don't know that either. You're going to abandon ship too fast. So having this type of mindset where you're constantly looking at the other, the other side of the field is a restrictive type of belief that causes you to suffer in everything that you do. Now this, by itself, is just when it has to do with money. The more difficult part is when it has to do with talking People have a very hard time complimenting other people unless they want something from them. You're going to tell somebody, oh wow, you looked good today because you're about to ask them for a loan or something. You're going to ask them for a ride. You ask them for lunch. You ask them for something. Very rarely does somebody actually give a compliment because they mean it. There's always a bias. There's always a reason behind it. And the reason for that is because they don't have ayin tovah. They don't have a good eye. In reality, they're saying, oh, no, no, he's only succeeding because he's good at marketing. Oh, he's only succeeding because he's a good talker. Oh, he's only succeeding because uh, he's a good teacher. Oh, he's always going to give an excuse of why somebody's succeeding. It's never, they worked hard. It's never other thing. It's always, there's always an excuse for it to ruin it. Why? There's no way that he did it and I didn't. You know, a few times, because... The whole thing of what we do, cube and everything else, is 100% for Hashem. If you're not doing it for Hashem, you're not going to succeed in actually doing cube. You may succeed in getting fans, but you're not going to succeed in getting people to do tshuva. So many times I see people that are passionate about cube, and they ask me, what do you do? How do you do? And so on. So I try to do my best to help them. Sometimes they join our team, and, help, and we help them uh, teach them what we're doing. Sometimes they want to do their own thing. So I tell them, listen, do this, do this, cut clips, do this, do, do, do. And if more than a few times I would tell people to do certain things. And a couple of times, a couple of cases, they would take all the advice, the free advice that takes a lot of uh, effort and blood, sweat, and tears to get. And they use it against you. One particular case, there was a guy who taught him how to do Kiruv on the internet. He knew nothing. Nothing about YouTube, nothing about Facebook, nothing about nothing. Knew nothing. But he even said, oh, I see you're doing stuff. Can I do something? I said, sure, show him everything. Join the girl. Funny thing is, he has a channel. He has a channel that he publishes. He cuts clips from different lectures. And he publishes them all over the internet. Pretty much every single rabbi, except me. Everybody except me. Like, even if you don't like my stuff, isn't like an akarata tov, like some, I don't know, something. I'm not a kufer, Baruch Hashem. I mean, I'm still speaking Torah. But that's the thing. People hate it. They hate to see other people succeed. They hate to see other people succeed. There's no ayin tova. And that's also why Hashem has mercy on us and He sends us good messages from time to time. Especially when we need it. Tisha B'Av was difficult. Before Tisha B'Av and Nightmare. A lot of different tests over the last couple of months. A lot of big tests, Baruch Hashem. 
Hashem wants to get us to get to the next grade. So He gives us more tests. So it was a very, very tough time. So to keep going, Hashem, you need to have strength. You need to have strength. So what does He do? He says, look, this guy is converting. This guy did tshuva. This couple just got married. This couple just had a baby. All these different fantastic news. It's like, At least I know it's working. At least I know I'm not just grinding water. You know, it's working. This guy did tshuva, that one's did tshuva. There's more people here, more people there, more people watching, and so on and so forth. Baruch Hashem. You need it. And I've heard Rabbi Mizrahi also say it in lectures. Mamash, this is the stuff. When you hear stories of people actually doing tshuva and doing, and, and doing the will of Hashem and getting closer, they tell, yeah, I saw this shoe, I liked it. It was good, it helped me, da-da-da, whatever it is. It gives you chizuk. It's not that you're looking for a pat on the back, like, oh yeah, great, another guy watched my shiwa. I have another one on my YouTube. It's not that. It's that you actually see this actually, that all the work and everything else, it, did, it created something in the world. Because you're not doing it for money. There's plenty of other things you could do for money. Plenty of other things you can do for a lot more money. There's no money here. You're not doing it for kavod. If you're doing what we're doing, you get the opposite. You don't get kavod. Instead, you have people playing on, uh, on, on the phone the whole time you're talking, or they're reading a book. Instead of watching the shiur, they're reading a book. Or they're wa- playing on the phone. Or they're talking. Or the guy last, uh, last time we did in, uh, in Queens, the whole time I'm talking, the whole time, and he's talking to somebody else, the whole time. Why'd you come to the shiur if you're talking to somebody else? The Gemara says a person does not see the obligation himself. He's always looking. No, no, it's somebody else is doing it. Yeah, but I'm talking to you though. But they don't see it. They don't see it. Why? Doesn't see it. Doesn't see it wrong in himself. He sees. No, no. He's talking about Bilam still. He's still talking about Bilam. He's not talking about me. So a person that does not have generosity does not have ein tova. Cannot be a Talmud of Avraham Avinu. Cannot be a Talmud of Avraham Avinu. Why? You have to be generous. Avraham Avinu, if you remember, when, after he had the Brit Milah, it says that Avraham Avinu was in a lot of pain. And the Midrash says, what was he in pain for? Okay, it was the third day after uh, the Brit Milah, but that's the reason he was in pain? He says, no. What was the real pain that Avraham Avinu was suffering? He says it's the first time in his life he didn't have guests. He didn't have guests. He sent Eliezer, he said, go in the mountains, go look for guests. There's no way that a day will pass and I don't have guests. You have to go get guests. Go get guests. Eliezer went to the mountains, looked, he said, came back, says, Avraham, sorry. Nobody here, nobody inside. It's the hottest day of the in history. It's 500 degrees outside. No one's going to come. No guests. He goes, ah, you're not, you're not loyal to me. He tells Eliezer, don't do it. Tells him you're not loyal to me. I can't, I can't do it. Avram starts looking. He's in pain, anguish. Imagine, you just had a brit milah. I can't imagine. I had it eight days old. But other people had a brit milah all day. Shemachem, you're walking around with all the pain in the world for what? For guests, you're suffering. Finally, he sees three Arabs. He sees three Arabs. He goes, please, please, I beg you, please, my master. What my master? You're the biggest guy. You're the, you're the man of God. What, my master. What master? He tells three Arabs that he, it says, the Gemara says, he thought they were idol worshippers. Why is he in the master? Says, please, please, let me, let me, let me, let me give you something small to you. A little bread, a little bread. A little bread. 
Okay, okay, do give us whatever you want to do, fine. Why? He wants an opportunity to do chesed. He wants an opportunity to give. Because all you have is what you're able to give. If you can't give it, you don't have it. If you cannot give it, you don't have it. It's meaningless. The Abarbanel, Shalom, was the treasurer in Spain. Genius, Tamit Chacham, but also genius in other things. The Melech in Spain said, listen, you're such a genius, I want you to run the, the Fed Reserve of Spain. I want you to run all the money, the treasury for the, for the king, everything. Run all the money. Of course, success leads to haters, leads to jealousy. So the haters came to the king instead of chit-chatting in his brain. Oh, yeah, Al-Babanel, he's stealing money, stealing money, stealing money. This Jew is stealing money, Jew stealing money, Jew, 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 you steal money, 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 money. Why? They wanted the job. But they didn't get the job. Al-Babanel got the job. Eventually, the king said, you know what, let me check. Let me check if he's stealing, stealing money. So he asked, the, he asked him, uh, how much money do you have? How much money do you have? Says me, I have a uh, hundred thousand. The king was so angry at this answer, he threw him right in jail. He says, Throw him in jail and take all of his belongings. Just his house is worth two million. Liar says he only has a hundred thousand. Lied to me. hundred thousand, you say what you have. Just the house is worth a million, two million dollars. The car. The, the trees, each tree is $10,000. He has all this stuff. The stock portfolio, ch- the chipmunks, the, uh, the fish that he has, the uh, monkeys, the people, the this. The, oh, he has all this stuff. What are you talking about? Just the stock portfolio on CNBC. I saw a ticket of Abanel. I saw a ticket of Abanel. What are you talking about? He has so much money. He tell you $100,000. Lying to me. Take all of his stuff. After a few days, the king was smart. The king was smart. After a few days, when the heat calmed down, because all the haters, they're happy. Now they're celebrating. Why? You just took all of his stuff. So now they're, they're waiting for the job. No, he's going to pick me. No, he's going to pick me. He's going to pick me. He's going to pick me. All of them are putting their best suit on. Because they're waiting to get the job offer. But during those three days, the king calmed down. He thought to himself, eventually, what we're all supposed to do at some point is to think for ourselves. That was the point of the article today. To think for yourself once in a while. Just quiet everything up. Quiet all the noise, the outside noise. Think. Think for a second. And the king thought, and he said, wait a minute. The rabbi is a genius. The rabbi is not only a genius in his religion and his God, and his, uh, he's a genius in finance, he's a genius with people, he's a genius in psychology. He's the smartest man of the land. Of course he knows I'm the king and I'm going to find out if he's lying to me or not. Why would he tell me he only has a hundred thousand if I know and every Joe knows that just his house is worth more than that? Why would he give me such an answer? And it bothered the king. He said, you know, I'm going to go ask him. He goes to the cell and he says, can you please tell me, why did you lie to me? He says, I didn't lie to you. You asked me how much I have. He said, yes. He said, 100,000. I said, exactly. Because you're a liar. He goes, no, it's not a liar. He goes, what are you talking about? Just the house is uh, 2 million. The car, there, huh? oh, all that. He goes, no, it's not mine. He goes, what do you mean it's not yours? He says, look, look. 
Just because I answered the question the way that was against your liking, immediately you took it. Meaning, it's not mine. If you're able to take it so easily, it's not mine. What's mine? What I gave tzedakah. I have a little book and I write how much I give tzedakah. I give $10, $100, $1,000, $200, I have that. I have that book. I go up to Shammai and say, this is what I have. Why? It's the only thing that I gave. It's the only thing I have. Everything else you took, I don't have it then. It's not really mine. If you can take it, it's not really mine. If the IRS can repossess your assets, if somebody can sue you and take it, it's not yours. Meaning the only thing is yours, Rabotai, is what you gave. A person that has an tova, has a good eye, has a much easier time giving. Because he knows that all he has is what he can give. All he has is what he can share. If he doesn't have money, then he better have some good words. He better have something else to offer. Because Hashem didn't put him into this world to be a tree stump. You have to do something. You have to contribute to society. You can't be a nothing. You can't be a nobody. You have to do something. Contribute. So far, that's the intro. Now, the next thing is to have wach nemucha, a humble spirit. This Rashi and Rav explained, Rabbeinu Yonah explained, this exceptional humility, this means exceptional humility, modesty of spirit towards both God and man. Having Ruach Nemucha, we see in Avraham Avinu that he never expected anything from Hashem and even when he was doing a mitzvah, like praying for other people, he says, I'm dust but ashes. Like, there's no, like, you don't have to answer my prayers. You don't even have to talk to me, Hashem. I'm not coming to you complaining to you. I'm just pleading. I'm pleading. Why? Because, maybe the tzaddikin's dome. And it would be awful for your name. It would be awful for you that you would destroy a place where there's a tzaddik. That was actually also the difference between him and Noach. Noach never prayed for the people. But you see this Ruach Nemucha, this humility that Avraham Avinu had is what made Avraham Avinu have a direct access to Hashem. The Torah says that a person that has Gava, has a pride, the opposite of humility, is considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Any person that is arrogant is considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. The Gemara in Masechet Sotah, page 5a, says that every man who is prideful, he thinks who he is. He thinks he's better looking. He thinks he's smarter. He thinks he's uh, more clever. He thinks who he is whether compared to man or compared to God, whatever it is, is like an asher tree. 
What's an asher tree? An asher tree is one of the forms of idolatry that we have in the Torah. What is the only mitzvah that you can fulfill with the asher trees? Destroy them. A person that has pride, Hashem says, there's only one mitzvah that we can fulfill with this person. Destroy them. Toivat Hashem kol gvalev. It's disgusting to Hashem. He says, why? You stole the robe of the king and you're pretending to be one. You stole the Ramban, writes, in Igeret Ramban, he writes to his son, he goes, why? What are you going to be so proud about? You stole the robe of the king and you're pretending to be the king. Like, what, what are you so proud about? The Gemara continues in Sota 47b that says that a prideful person gets to a point where he's even despised by his own family. This is something that is very common today in, in houses and homes that don't have shlombait. Homes that have kids that don't have a good relationship with the parents. The number one reason is because somebody doesn't like when other people don't listen to them. But, of course, no one likes when people disagree. Everyone wants everyone to agree with what they say. But a prideful person cannot tolerate other people disagreeing with him, other people disagreeing with her. Why? I have an opinion. My opinion is like fact. My opinion like God said it. Kadosh. They cannot tolerate somebody else's opinion. Sometimes they can't even tolerate somebody else's voice. And they get to a point where even their own family hates them. Sometimes, how do you know this? Sometimes you go to different places and they give you a warning. Oh yeah, my dad, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he says certain things. But now he's just like that. He's just like that. What do you mean just like that? Meaning everybody else in the family is accepted. This guy is intolerable. What are you going to do? Are you going to throw him in the garbage? He's the father. But he's intolerable. Yeah, no, he just says, yeah, he's just like that. Yeah, no, she, yeah, she's just like that. You know, that's the way she is. What do you mean that's the way she is? She doesn't adjust like the rest of mankind. When there's black, you're black. When there's white, you're white. When there's green, it's green. You adjust to the environment. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to adjust. No, no, she's just like that. Meaning, she's so, she has convictions are so ingrained that she's not willing to adjust. She's not willing. And I'm not talking about belief systems. I'm talking about simply thoughts, simply just behavior and so on. And it becomes detestable to the people around them to such an extent that literally even their own family hate them. In the Gemara, Masechet Abu Dazara, page 18, Resh Lakish, the Baal Tshuva, the historical Baal Tshuva, says that a person that has this pride will fall into Genom. Source, Proverbs 21, 24, Shlomo Melech teaches this. Why would he fall into Genom? Just because he's simply arrogant. Because arrogance begins with man and ends with God. Arrogance simply means that you believe that your opinion, your thoughts, your mind, your everything is the only thing that counts, even if you're wrong. You care less about the facts. You don't let the facts get in the middle of your opinion. Now, 
רבי חייא בר אבא, הנה גמרא מסכת סוטה, פייץ' 4b, says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, any person who is arrogant, who is hardy of spirit, לבסוף נכשל באשת איש, ultimately will fall into the sin of cohabiting with a married woman, as it is written in Proverbs 6.26, שנאמר, ואשת איש נפש יקרח תצוד, as it stated in a married woman, a precious soul ensnares. Now the question is, what does one thing have to do with the other? Why is just because he's an arrogant and he looks at himself for 15 minutes, every 15 minutes on the, in the mirror, and he wants to make sure that his hair is exactly lined up with the metric system and the, this system, and it's this way, and the clothes fit just right, and if it doesn't feel just right, then he's going to sue the dry cleaner and his mother, and and, 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 and he makes sure that the car doesn't even have a shadow on the car. And if the guy didn't wash it right, then he, hey, listen, he gives me a bad look. Look, somebody's looking at your car. People are too busy going to work. They don't, nobody cares about your car. No, I have to see my own reflection in the wheels. And if he doesn't see the reflection in the wheels, then he treats all the people that washed his car and slaved over his car like they're all like slaves in Egypt. And every teller at any bank or every teller at any supermarket has to feel like they're literally the size of a peanut next to this guy. And they talk to them like they're all trash. Everybody's below him. Everybody's below her. Okay. Obnoxious, disgusting, intolerable. But what does it have to do with a sex crime? The Torah says here, in the name of Rabban Yochanan, or Rabbi Yochanan, that a person that is haughty, a person that's arrogant, eventually will make the worst sex crime they could possibly make. What does one thing have to do with the other? So the Tiferet Israel says that just as humility is the sanctuary of holiness, arrogance is the sanctuary for Tumah, for impurity. Whose principal thrust is to entice a person to sexual immorality. Where do we get this from? If you remember, I said it to you guys in a shiur, maybe on Sunday, maybe two Sundays ago, I'm not going to remember exactly. The Chachamim ask, how is it that Am Yisrael worshipped idols at Bet HaMikdash? How is it possible? I mean, they saw a fire come down from heaven, the Midrash says, a fire come down from heaven in the image of a lion every day. Imagine, fire, of, in an image of a lion, the size of a city block, coming down from heaven, eating the kolbanot. You're worshipping an idol, is something wrong with you? You saw miracles, you saw people go to the, to, 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 to the Bet Migdash, Haman, they become Mordechai at the end. They do tshuva just by going there. The amount of miracles that you saw in Bet Migdash, you can't even imagine. How? How are you going to go worship idols? What's the matter with you? The Gemara in Masechet Sanedrin gives the Chidush of Chidushim. Mine Sadrini 63b says it had nothing to do with idols. It had nothing to do with idols. Amisa didn't believe the idols. But they worshipped them. Yes, they worshipped them. But they didn't believe it. So why did they do it? Why did they go? Why did they go? Why did they bring Buddha to the house? Why did they bring JC Penny for for for, for Sudash Lishit? What's the matter? Why? 
Why are you bringing? Why are you bringing this garbage to the house? Toivat Hashem kol gvalev. This this don't betecha. Don't bring uh, idol worship into your house. The type of says TV is, uh, is idol worship. Don't bring it to your house. What's the matter? Why are you bringing this to your house? The Gemara says, of course they didn't believe the idols did anything or were anything or are anything. Of course they didn't believe it. But they knew that as soon as the rabbis and the rest of the kilah saw that they have an idol in their house, they have a Buddha statue in the backyard, they have a Buddha statue on the door, they take off the mezuzah, they put the Buddha statue there, he says, ah, he's chiloni, he's secular, he's nothing, I don't want to talk to him, don't count him for minyan, don't invite him to the bar mitzvah, don't talk to them. Why would any Jew want such a thing? Why would any Jew want to be put on exile, put on cherem? Don't invite me to bar mitzvah. Don't invite me to the wedding. Don't count on me. Yom Kippur, I'm eating. What's the matter? Why would any Jew want this? The Gemara says, because in reality, all they wanted is to do sex crimes. All they wanted to do is go have sex with the goyim. All they wanted to do is have sex without being married. All they wanted to do is do things of gilui arayot. But they knew that as long as they were counted as a part of the minyan, they can't do it. It's embarrassing. But as soon as they were considered idol worshippers, no one would pay attention to them. So they could go do whatever they want. Meaning it had nothing to do with the idol worship. It was all about having sex. It was all about giloy arayot. It was all about wasting seed. It was all about going, let me do whatever I want. Where does it all come from? It comes from it comes from arrogance. Why does it come from arrogance? Because arrogance is the root of this desire. Arrogance is the root of this horrible desire because you feel that you're supposed to get whatever you want. You're entitled, like this generation. This lowly generation of entitled people that if you don't give them an answer within 30 seconds, you're already late. That if you don't write every single midrash, if you don't say every single word, if you don't do every single thing according to that, then, oh, yeah, I, don't think, yeah, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. If you don't give them the perfect product that they couldn't even imagine, you don't surprise them with a big present. Shem Yachem. Shem Yachem. You may be a Korach. Why? Arrogance. People feel that they're entitled. And that entitlement has a horrible, horrible end. As the Gemara continues, Rabbi Chama Bar Chanina says, An arrogant person is regarded as if he has cohabited with all of the foreign, the forbidden relations. As it is written, kol gvalev. As it's written, everyone that is arrogant has an arrogant heart is an abomination to Hashem. This is in Leviticus 18.27. For all of those abominations, have to do with forbidden relations. It's not just the idolatry. Because if a person denies Hashem's existence only intellectually, let's say he just simply never learned anything. He 
doesn't know God exists, God doesn't exist, Torah and science, science Torah, he doesn't know anything. All his years he went to school, the teacher told him he came from monkeys. He told him that he was a monkey, and now he's a human. He told him that he was playing with the dinosaurs three zillion years ago, and now he's a human. He told him that uh, his ancestors used to light fire with rocks, like, uh, like, uh, like they say in the movies. That his other ancestor is the amoeba. You know, that little, the guy just spits something on the floor. Yeah, that's your grandfather. That's your grandfather. Yeah, yeah right there. You know, that smooch over there? Yeah, that's your grandfather. Like the stupidest things in the world, but that's what he learned, Miskin, his whole life. So he doesn't know. So if he denies Hashem's existence only intellectually, a powerful revelation of divine providence can shock this person into acknowledgement and belief. Meaning you show this guy a few Torah proofs, he can do tshuva in a second. Why? He was an empty vessel. All you gotta do is put something in there. That's it. He doesn't know. He doesn't know anything. Which is the majority of people today. Majority of Jews today don't know anything. I'm not talking about just people that are secular. I'm talking about everybody. Secular, religious, half-religious. Most people don't know anything. That's why when I talked to the Avrechim, in Yerushalayim, I went there a few years ago, two years ago maybe, and we had a little, a little shiur. They asked me to give a shiur to Avrechim. I said, what am I going to teach you guys? You guys learn Torah all day. I'm going to teach you. I barely know anything. Said, no, no, you know a lot. You got people who do tshuva. We didn't get people to do all these wonderful compliments. I don't believe any of it. But anyway, Baruch Hashem. I said, okay, I'll give you a show on something I know you don't know. What do I, what do I know that they don't know? I said, I know people. And I know you don't know people. Why? You're here. You're in a four walls. Your whole life. Oh, you have a Sefer Torah. Oh, you have a Sefer Torah. And you're assuming that the public at large, the secular, the other guys, they also know Noach. They also read Parashat Shavua. They also know Avraham Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu and Shema Yisrael. You assume they all know this stuff. Like, why would you not know Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest of great. How could you not know Moshe Rabbeinu? What'd you do with your life? If you don't know Moshe Rabbeinu, what'd you do? How'd you go a day in your life without knowing Moshe Rabbeinu? My little three-year-old knows Moshe Rabbeinu. How do you not know Moshe Rabbeinu? Over a million kids in Eretz Yisrael do not know Shema Yisrael Bechlal. Shema Yisrael. A million. People don't know anything. I told them I know people. And I know that you assume they know what you're talking about when you start. So you are scared to give lectures. Why? Because you're saying, what can I say that they don't know? You're assuming that in order for you to give a lecture, you have to give a chidush. You have to give some huge insight that only maybe like Rav Moshe Feinstein, Allah Shalom, and maybe like a, uh, the, the Stipler Gaon, they, you know, something that they said that's in one of their books and you found it, it's in the middle, it's in a small thing, it's not really the big book, it's a small book, and you found it, and you're going to tell them this. Because you think that that's the stuff they don't know. In reality, they don't even know who Noah is. Most people found out about Moshe Rabbeinu in a movie. 50, 60 years ago, the Goyim published a movie called The Ten Commandments. That's how most people see Moshe Rabbeinu. There are still statues till this day, till this day being sold in stores of Moshe Rabbeinu, an image of Moshe Rabbeinu, and they have horns on Moshe Rabbeinu. When we moved to America, my mom got, it was in one of the houses we we moved into, we rented, and there was a statue that said Moses on it. But I never understood, why does he have horns? What's the matter with these people? 
Years, years later, maybe 20 years later, I realized why the, the statue had horns. Because these imbeciles that made the statue don't know any Hebrew. And it says that when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu went down from, from Mount Sinai, he had Keren. He had Keren, meaning he had like the shining sun. He had like his, his face was shining like the sun. That's why he had to put a mask on. But these imbeciles translated Keren like horn. Because Keren also means horn. So everyone thinks that Moshe Rabbeinu had horns. Most people think this. You know how they found out about Noach? There was a movie with uh, some other uh, actor. Russell Crowe, I think his name is. Came out five, ten years ago. Has nothing to do with Noach, but some guy in a boat. Baruch Hashem, I didn't watch the movie. I just saw the previews. The re- has nothing to do with Noach. Another guy made a movie about the world and everything else and how it started and everything else. Not, the guy himself says, no, no, I just, the only thing we have in common is I said Adam Rishon, there was an initial human, there was a snake, and there's cool images, and a lot of people use it for Torah movies today. But in reality, it has nothing to do with the Torah. But that's people's knowledge. They get Torah knowledge from movies. It has nothing to do with it. They get fiction books that some Christians wrote, and they tell you that uh, maybe David Amelech was gay because uh, there's a pasuk in the Torah. He says that Yonatan loved him more than a woman. Or they tell you that he made a sin. Or they tell you that J.C. Penney's related to him. All types of nonsense. All types of shtuyot. People don't know anything. People don't know anything. Nothing. Nothing. I'm not talking about Goyim only. I'm talking about Jews. I'm talking about us. We don't know anything. You know how I know? You know how I know? I don't know anything. When I started doing tshuva, I thought I knew something. Why? I used to debate other idiots. I knew Moshe Rabbeinu. I knew Noah. I knew their stuff didn't make any sense. So I would debate them constantly. Once I actually started really learning, I realized how little I actually knew. Now I was considered smart, according to teachers and grades and so on. I was considered one of those people. I realized I was a complete imbecile when it came to Torah. Nothing. I knew nothing. And I said to myself, wait a minute. If I'm the one that knows nothing, and all these people listen to me, imagine how little they know. People don't know anything. And that was the lecture, the Avrechim and Arnof in Yerushalayim almost two years ago. Baruch Hashem, several of them decided to start doing shurim, put it on YouTube. Some of them started giving shurim. Some of them changed their style. Told them, stop looking for chidushim. Stop looking for new insights. Even if you don't know how to talk, do you know how to read? Read Parashat Shavua with commentary by Rashi. Perfect shiur. Read Parashat Shavu with commentary by Rashi. Nothing else. Don't add a single word. Read. Okay, what does Rashi say over here? Oh, Rashi mentions Rabbi Yitzchak. Oh, Rabbi, who's Rabbi Yitzchak? Oh, it's his father and so on and so forth. That's it. You don't have to... What happens? Why is so many Shura Torah not this? Why are so many people confused even more sometimes? Because people have too much arrogance to just keep it at the knowledge of the sages. They have to throw their own two senses into it. Now, if their own two senses agree with the Torah, but if your two senses contradict the Torah, you're an arrogant person, your Torah is considered disgusting. And Torah says, 
that this person that has this arrogance, lo bashamaimi, his Torah is not from Shamayim. You're not allowed to learn from him. So a person needs to know, first and foremost, if you're a teacher, stop looking for complicated subjects. Teach basics. If you see anybody advertising Kabbalah, you should translate it as, do not enter. It's not for you. Anyone that says, I'm going to teach you Kabbalah, to you, anyone that's listening and, and actually believes any word that I said in the last I don't know, few years that we've been learning together, Anyone says, I'm going to teach you Kabbalah, that should, that, the commentary on that from your own event should be, do not enter. Why? It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Number one, if he really knew Kabbalah, he wouldn't be teaching you. Kabbalists are very, very holy people. There's very few of them. And they are not usually Mezakeh Rabim. They're not usually people that do kill with people, public lectures and so on. That's number one. Number two, you don't teach the public Kabbalah. Simply said. Who says it? Kabbalists. Torah. Kabbalah Masad Chagigah. Specifically says, you're not allowed to teach the public stuff like this. Why? They don't even know who Noach is. They don't know you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. They don't know you're not allowed, they don't know anything. You're teaching them Kabbalah. What Kabbalah, you imbecile? What Kabbalah? They don't know anything. They don't know Moshe Rabbeinu. They don't know that Avraham Avinu had a couple of sons. They don't know anything. What are you teaching them Kabbalah? Somebody says, I'm teaching Kabbalah, do not enter. That's already red, red flag. Red like fire. The other thing is, Abutais, you have to understand. You have to check stuff. You have to check. You can't just be spiritually lazy and think, oh yeah, he said it, so therefore it's true. Check. It says a page, check. If he's not saying any sources, ask him, where'd you get this stuff from? Because a lot of people are too arrogant, too arrogant to actually use the Torah as sources. Or sometimes what they do is they pervert the Torah. They say something from the Torah and then they completely pervert what it means to something completely different. So if you're a student, you're learning from people, make sure you're learning from the right vessel, from the right place. If you're a teacher, stop looking for do, different new insights. You don't need to be Rashi. If you really want to be a Mezakeh Rabin, you want to do Kiruv, just teach them basics. Teach them the basics. That's all they need to know. Teach them to keep Shabbat. Teach them Tarat Mishpachat. Teach them Kosher. Teach them Musar. Teach them how to be decent human beings. Because we only are trying. We're only trying to get to Gan Eden. We don't need to be Avraham Avinu. But it all starts with having a humble spirit, understanding where we stand. Because if we don't understand where we stand, if we are too prideful, we cannot be a descendant, we cannot be a protege, we cannot be a student of Avraham Avinu. Why wouldn't you want to be a protege of Avraham Avinu? Who is better? You or Avraham? Avraham was humble. Why, can't I be, why shouldn't I be like him? And the Torah specifically says that the opposite of humility is arrogance. And arrogance leads to sex crimes, leads to that, because a person that's arrogant feels like there's no desire that he has that should not be met. Even if that desire is against the Torah. And that's why the Torah says that it starts, arrogance is considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem, because it starts with arrogance between you and another person, but it ends with Hashem. 
It ends with Hashem. The next part, and we'll finish here, is Venefesh Filah. Nefesh Filah is an undemanding soul. What does it mean, an undemanding soul? Meiri and Rav say that somebody that exercises restraint and self-control over forbidden physical desires or over other excessive luxuries. Again, the Chachamim are not connecting these words to what we would think. Like you would think an undemanding soul would be something spiritual, like, oh, you don't ask too many questions in a shield. You don't, uh, I don't know, you don't, uh, you know, you don't expect certain things. You're not expecting certain things. It's more spiritual, you would think. The Chachamim say it's the exact opposite. Undemanding soul meaning that you've perfected your soul. You've made your soul, you've sanctified it to such an extent that you don't have these desires for materialism like other people do. Now some people try to go cold turkey. I have a student, God bless him. He's a very extreme person. And usually he does things before he tells me and then he hits a wall and then I have to try to help him fix it. He means well, God bless him. He means well, he's a good guy. But being extreme is not smart. Being extreme is not smart. Especially when it comes to tshuva. If you're extreme too fast, that's a mitzvah from a satan. Satan wants you to go overboard. You were Amalek yesterday. He wants you to be Yaakov Avinu overnight. Why? Because he knows that after you realize you can never be Yaakov Avinu in a week, then you say, ah, you know what, the heck with it, I'm going to go back to being Amalek again. But that's not the way to do things. There are certain things that you have to be extreme with, like when it comes to humility, you have to be as humble as possible. But that cannot, cannot happen overnight. When it comes to good midot, you have to excel in them, you have to do, but that cannot happen overnight. When it comes to anger, you have to literally remove it from your heart, remove that stone from your heart, and you can never get angry, but that's not going to happen overnight. You're still human. You have to train yourself, you have to fix it. But there are certain things that if you go and you, you can do overnight, but if you do them, you will fail. But you won't fail right away. For example, people that try to eliminate technology. In today's world, technology is a source of all evil and all good at the same time. The very same iPhone, the very same Android, the very same uh, whatever phones exist in the world, can either give you Kodesh Kodeshim, you could be reading right now, Alona Kodesh, you could be right now clicking on Bezat Hashem app and learning how to become a decent human being, or you could Hashem Yachem what you can do with this phone. You could see all of the filth of the world in front of your eyes in a second, for free. The worst filth that you can't even imagine, you could see in a second. You could literally take the connection, there's a spiritual connection between you and Hashem. It's like, a, like if you, you have to, let's say, imagine something, imagine a rope. Imagine a rope with a rope, a rope, a rope, around the run of the rope. Like, for example, like the, the ropes for the ships, the big ship, the anchors. 
the rope is not just a single rope. It's not like a little string. It's a rope, another rope, another rope, another rope, and they'll make it into one rope, and then you know it becomes much stronger that way. So imagine you have this type of rope connecting you to Hashem Yitbalach, connecting you to heaven. Now, when you turn on Bezat Hashem app, you're strengthening that rope. You're strengthening it. You're using that rope, you're pressing the go button, and you're you're getting and receiving, you're receiving and delivering good things on this rope, on this vessel. On the other hand, you go to the garbage. You go to some uh, movie, rated PG-13. Today, these kids' movies have more nudity than the adult movies sometimes. Yeah, you see all these little people half naked on the beach. Or even worse, naked. You're on your phone, same phone. It's not that you're weakening it. You're not weakening it. You're not weakening the rope. What are you doing? You take, it's like somebody, like a, you just took the malacham of it, takes his machete, and tah, cuts it off. You finished it. You just destroyed the rope. Destroy the rope. Now what happens? Something has to happen. Who are you connected to? Satan. You now you connect to the Satan. Satan sends you all of the soldiers. What do the soldiers tell you? Hey, listen, you got to do something about it. Look what you saw. You have to act. What do you do? You start acting. You start acting. So we see here that Hashem gave you same technology, same tool to bring you Kedusha, to bring you Tuma. When they asked in the past, how could it be that Hashem is going to publicize when Eliyahu Navi comes, it says in the book of Zechariah, is going to publicize to the world that in three days Mashiach will arrive. How, how is this news going to arrive in the world? Is it going to be like Mount Sinai, that Hashem's words are going to be inscripted into the, into the heavens? It's going to be this. Today we don't even ask that question. Why? If you breathe the wrong way, or you help a duck cross the street, it goes to the rest of the world in two seconds on one of these channels on the internet. In two seconds, it's all over the world. Everybody's a cameraman. You can't hide anything. In two seconds, you can publicize your message. Right now, this, this shoe is going all over the world. All over the world. There's more people on, online right now watching this shoe than there's many more than you guys. Baruch Hashem. Meaning that the message literally reaches live. It doesn't have to wait for the next day. Live, it goes somewhere else. So Hashem gave us the opportunity to deliver good or bad instantaneously in this generation. Now, of course, a person that wants to limit their exposure to bad things is going to want to put restrictions on these tools. Now, if he puts different sensors, like uh, these uh, watch your eyes, guard your eyes apps that you put that block certain things on your phone, on your internet, on your computer, so you don't even get the opportunity to see the commercials and suggestions on the sidebars, you don't even get the opportunity to be allowed to go to certain websites that you know are completely full of garbage, and so on and so forth, you can use those apps, those are good. It can help yourself. But the reality is there's nothing better than a strong willpower. If you don't have a strong willpower, you'll fail anyway. It's only a matter of time. 
So guard your eyes will guard your eyes exactly when your willpower is not being used at all. Because you don't have a real need. You don't have the desire. You're guarding your eyes that, the, that don't need to be guarded. When is guarding your eyes not going to work? When the Satan shows up. And he says, you know the code for this guard your eyes. You know the code for this other app. You know this code for this website. Just press the, press the, the little password and all of a sudden unguarded. Unguarded, everything goes to the garbage. Oh, no, no, I gave it to my wife. Okay, you'll convince your wife to give it to you too. By mistake, by this, by that, trust me, the Satan has very clever ways. Very clever ways. There's nothing better than a strong willpower. So if a person goes extreme, he says, you know what? I know I can't. I don't have a strong willpower. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to throw out my phone. I'm going to throw out my computer. I'm going to throw out everything. I'm not going to associate it with the rest of the world. I'm going to go into a cave and that's it. It's not going to work. That's also not going to work. For most people, it's not going to work. If you grew up like me, with technology in your life, and you try to do that, you try to pretty much go cold turkey. No phone, no computer, no this, no that, no nothing overnight. You will fail. It's just going to take some time. A month, two months, six months, a year, eventually you're going to fail. But when people like that fail, they fail miserably. They don't fail by using a phone. They fail by all of a sudden, they don't want to be religious anymore. In one day, all of a sudden, their new hangout club is a prostitution house. Why? Last week he wasn't using the phone, he wasn't using the computer, he wasn't using this. Yes, but it wasn't because of willpower. He didn't teach himself. He didn't create an, a spiritual antibiotic. The Kira Botai is to develop a spiritual antibiotic. Because even though the antibiotic it makes you sick a little bit in the beginning, when you go to the doctor as a little baby, they give you medicine. The medicine they give you, these shots they give you, they make you sick, they make the kids sick. Why? Because they want the kid's immune system to develop antibiotics, to develop these different things within the body, they're going to be able to fight the sickness. Just like Laavdil, just like we do it physically, we have to do it spiritually. You cannot just say, I'm never going to use a phone ever again. You're going to use a phone, you live in the world. Buddy, you live in the world, you're going to use a phone. I'm never going to use a, a computer ever again. You're going to use a computer if you work for anybody. They're going to expect you to use a computer unless they're still using typewriters from the 1960s. Unless you're going to go work in a library that's going out of business any day because the government sees it's a complete waste of money. No one reads books anymore in these libraries. You're going to work over there and just like, you know, just grind wall all day. Oh, yeah, oh, nobody came today. Oh, wow, this is the third month in a row. Nobody showed up. The only one that borrows books from the library is the guy that works there. So the reality is, Rabotai, you cannot go cold turkey like that. Why? Because eventually you're going to break. You're going to have to, ha- you're going to use it. Why? You have a job. You have a something. You have to make a phone call. You have to do something. So what happens? Since you never built a spiritual immune system, the minute you see this phone again, the minute you see this computer again, you're going to lose it. Because there's no, there's no immune system. So what happens? Oh, wow. I got half hour with this phone. I'm doing everything. I'm ordering everything on eBay, everything on Amazon, everything on this one. Ever. I'm ordering the whole world. Why? I only have a half hour. Half hour to go crazy. And that's what people do. 
because they don't develop a spiritual immune system, they don't develop good midot, they don't develop a good reason of why it's, you're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed to look at this disgusting stuff. Why? Because Hashem said so. The Gemara in Masechet Menachot, page 25, says that Rabban Gamliel says a person should never say, I don't want to eat milk and meat or wear shatnez. It's not true, it's delicious. What should he say? He should say, I, I want to eat milk and meat. I want to wear shatnez. But what can I do that my father in heaven said no? I want to sin. But what can I do that my father in heaven said no? He said no, so I can't do it. It's not because I don't want to do it. It's because he said no. And I want to be connected to him. And I know that if I do it, I'm going to be disconnected from him. And I can't tolerate that. I can't tolerate being disconnected from Hashem. I love him. I fear him. I need him. How can I do something against him? But if you're going to think, oh no, all of a sudden I'm going to become Bnebak. All of a sudden I'm going to stop everything. You didn't grow up that way. If you grew up that way, and you never saw a computer in your life, and you never saw a phone in your life, if such people still exist in the world, fine. Then you don't know what you're missing. That even in the most religious neighborhoods in the world, people use technology to simply say, I'm going to avoid it for the rest of my life. That may apply to you, but it's not going to apply to your kids. It's still not a good idea. It's still not a good idea to say, no, no, I'm good. Okay, let's say, let's say you're so strong, you're so good, you're so holy, you are not going to use a phone. You're not going to use a computer. Fine. What about your kids? No, my kids are going to do what I want. Yes, as long as they're living with you. Eventually, they're going to move out. Eventually, they're going to go somewhere. They're going to get married. They're going to have to, what are they going to do? They don't have well, 18 years. They grew up. They don't, know, they don't know what a phone is. All of a sudden, they wake up 2040. There's ships flying in the air. So I say, oh, wow. Like, what are they going to say? They're going to look at you like, Abba, you're a liar. You told me that there's, no, there's nothing. There's ships flying in the air. There's people talking through their, like, the stuff. Like, what happened? Like they feel like they, have, they rediscovered the world. And that's why people go crazy. They don't go off the derich. They go off the mountain. They go off the mountain. Why? Because they don't have a spiritual immune system. You need a spiritual immune system. You need to learn how to not want it. You need to learn how to realize that this is bad for you. It's poison. And in order to do that, we have to work on our midot. We have to work on our character trees. We have to realize, what is the root of me wanting this thing? When it comes to sexual desires, the root is arrogance. That's what the Gemara says. You're arrogant? Eventually you're going to go with Eshet Ish. Why? Because an arrogant person believes that all of his desires need to be fulfilled. They must be fulfilled. Meaning this generation of millennials and so on, it's not nothing new under the sun. It wasn't created now. It's already been around since the beginning of time. This on-demand mentality has always been around. A person needs to know that arrogance is not just about thinking who you are. Arrogance is also operating as if the world needs to revolve around your tune. 
Now, Meiri and Rav also continue and says that a person that is overly materialistic constantly wants to buy new cars and watches and so on and so forth is going to have a sick soul, not an undemanding soul, because unfortunately you give a person 100, he wants 200, you give him 200, he wants 400, you give him 400, he wants 800. He's never going to want enough. The more he fulfills his desires, the more he's going to want. So a person that actually contains himself, that has self-control, that develops this spiritual immune system, over excessive luxuries, will enjoy a spiritually healthy soul without desire for lust or sin at all, Rabbi Yunus says. By minimizing your materialism, you're actually fixing your soul. That's the chikun. It's not just, oh, listen, I'm going to not get this watch because, uh, you know, I don't need a watch. I already have a watch. No, no, no. Literally, by understanding why. Why there's no purpose for this watch. You already have one. Why there's no purpose for this car. You could get something cheaper. By lowering the material, just getting what you need, not what you want. You may want a 19-bedroom house, and you may be able to afford a 19-bedroom house, but for what? Do you have 19 people in your house? No, it's you and a dog. And the dog's 16, he's dying any day. What are you going to do with 19 rooms? What are you going to do with 8 rooms? Most people have so much more than what they need, they kill themselves spiritually. You look at every, you walk in Jewish neighborhoods, you look at any neighborhood, you see people have two, three, four, five, six thousand dollars a month in payments just in their parking lot, just in their garage. Five thousand dollars a month, four thousand dollars a month in a car. There's three people in the house, seventeen cars. Why? Why do you have so many? What do you need all this stuff for? Why do you need to get the most expensive Mercedes? Why it, it drives like you need to? What? what? What does it do? What does it do? What does it fly? It still has four wheels, just like the Hyundai does. Why do you need to spend $1,500 a month on one car? For what? You know how much stuff you can do with that extra money? You know how many people you could save? You know how much valuable things you can do? Now, you're not going to think, no, no, I could do that and that because I'm doing good. Okay, what about if you don't do good? Do you know how hard it is to undo expenses? That was, that's the reason why failure causes people to commit suicide, by the way. From personal experience, I can tell you that at one point we got to $185,000 a month in expenses. $185,000 a month in expenses. Business, personal, and so on. Now, when you're making, on a bad month, $200,000, you are still okay, you're still making a profit. On a good month, you make a half a million, you're doing all right. $180,000 a month in expenses, not the end of the world. What if you're not making it then? What if you're not making a half a million dollars? What if one month you got sick and you didn't go to work? And you made zero. Okay, so now you have $185,000 a month in expenses and zero income. So now what does that mean? You lost $185,000. Okay, one month, no big deal. You still made plenty of money before. What about two months? What about three months? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, a year? Okay, now you just lost $2 million. But why don't you just stop the expenses? It's not so easy. You can't just stop all the expenses. You can't just go, hey, Mercedes, listen, that $1,500 a month lease, I don't feel like having it anymore. 
Take the car back. Yeah, all right. Take the back. You take. You signed. You signed your soul. We're not taking it back unless you give us X amount of money. It's very hard to undo. Oh, uh, yeah, listen, Mr. Uh, building owner, you had $25,000 a month and I'm paying you in rent. I can't pay for it anymore. We don't care. You sign a 10-year lease. 10-year lease, $25,000 a month, $30,000 a month, has to show up on the first of the month like clockwork. We care less that you're sick. We care less. But thank you for calling. Thank you for letting us know. Like, you can't just undo it. So all of these people that build themselves up and they get all these expenses, it's also a reason why people commit suicide because they realize that the life that they build themselves up assumed that they're going to continue succeeding forever just like I thought. Just like everybody else thinks. No one ever thinks they're going to fail. So that's why if you ever fail, if you have a hiccup, if you have a problem, it's very hard to undo all this stuff. And then you're in a situation where you have a lot more money coming out than coming in, and you don't know what to do. No one cares, by the way. The lawyers don't care. The doctors don't care. The vendors don't care. The mortgage doesn't care. The IRS definitely doesn't care. No one cares. In fact, every single one of them is going to fight for every little penny you have left because they know you're about to hit broke. So they're about, they need to get their money. They care less. That's, comp- that's, that's, that's the world. That's the world. If you build yourself up that way, you're building yourself up for failure. Because bumps will happen. Failure will happen. Every successful story has quite a few failures on the way. You only have to succeed once. But failing, you could fail a hundred times on the way to success. You could fail a hundred times on the way to success. Most failures are self-inflicted, both in life, whether it be business or it be spirituality. So a person, the Torah is teaching us something that's valuable for all aspects of life. Jew or non-Jew is telling you something. If you contain yourself, you contain these desires, you stop yourself from wasting so much money on all this nonsense, not only will you protect yourself from failure, materially, but also you'll protect yourself from failure spiritually because you will not have the bigger desires if you don't meet the smaller desires. If you don't buy the 700 or $800 a month car, you're never going to have the desire to buy the $2,000 a month car. Why? Because you're still stuck with $300 a month. You're not, no logical person goes from $300 a month to $2,000 a month. How are you going to go to $2,000 a month if you upgrade to 800 for no reason? You upgrade to $800 a month. After six months, you don't really like it anymore. What do you want? You want the $1,500 a month. You get the $1,500 a month. Like, ah, $1,500 is for, it's for, it's for newbies. I need the $2,000 a month. I need the bigger house. I need the bigger this. I need so what happens? Every time you meet this desire, it's a self-inflicted wound. So this... Nefesh filah, this undemanding soul, Tiferet Israel says, one of the ways to express it is by being happy with our share. And the Midrash Muel says that a man's animalistic element seeks to be the most prominent part of his life and decisions. So when a man diminishes its prominence in his decisions, 
he possesses an undemanding soul. To such an extent that the Chida says, as I mentioned before, that a person that has these traits, has a good eye, is humble, and most importantly is a has an undemanding soul, could have both freedom of spirituality as well as physicality. Why? When you have an undemanding soul, you're not going to feel like you have to do anything other than your basics. And the undemanding soul, the Hasid Yavid says, needs little for himself and is able to devote himself to the spiritual welfare of others, always seeking to influence them towards the meritorious existence. A person that focuses on spending all of their energy working on their midot, fixing their midot, lowering their material intake, is going to leave room for his spirituality to grow to such an extent that he's going to want to exert it in a different. He's going to want to exert that energy in a different way. How? By fulfilling mitzvot, by actually helping others. Then you could finally become someone that's contributed to contributing to society. Your car is not contributing to society. Your house is not contributing to society. Your materialism is not contributing to society. Your actions are. So all of this, Rabotai, these are just simple things. Simple things just to sign up for the school of Avraham Avinu. These are things that even if we attained one of them, if we attained one of them, we've already achieved a certain level of spiritual success. Now there's a lot more obviously on the other side, but we'll continue that tomorrow. Any questions? Same price. Okay, I'll turn off the camera. 500 questions. There's a lot more, but it has to do with Pasha and so on. Another three hours. You guys are tired. How is it a pleasurable thing to do what Hashem wants from us? Yeah. So, if you fulfill Hashem's will, there is a, a, a physical sp- pleasure as well as a spiritual pleasure. If you see, there's a picture of a um, um, not of Moshe Feinstein, uh, the current of um, Kanievsky. Of Kanievsky, she is a picture of him moments after he started learning and you see happiness from this picture. Now, to us, we don't really know much about much. It looks like the old man's smiling. But anyone that knows a little bit of Torah and knows and has reached certain levels knows that when you attain a certain level of spiritual success, you actually get a physical pleasure from it. In fact, there are certain levels that you can attain spiritually that it will give you a physical pleasure that's greater than any high you could ever imagine. So, 
first thing I answer that because I don't want you to think that Judaism and Torah is just about reading books, consuming knowledge, and then eventually dying. That's not it. The there is a physical aspect to it. Second thing is, is that when you're fulfilling mitzvot, you're constantly physical. You're constantly physical. You put on tefillin, you pray, you talk, you learn, you uh, you uh, you're with your wife. You're uh, you know you're, you're teaching, you're learning. You're constantly physical, and so, and these things have a much greater impact on a person than any physical, because physical. For example, if you call it intimacy, or if you call it, I don't know, playing some type of sport, or, uh, I don't know, working, whatever it is, the physical pleasures of a person have a very, very short-lasting effect. So even if you go to the ultimate, to the ultimate physical pleasure, the ecstasy of intimacy, that physical aspect, at most, will last moments. The meet, the greet, the dinner, the, the conversation, all that other stuff doesn't actually give the person any physical pleasure whatsoever. In reality, in the secular world, most people care less about it. If they could just go straight to the end, they're happy. That's why there's a whole industry based around it. And people are willing to give their lives away just for this moment of pleasure. Unfortunately, what happens is that they, when they constantly allow themselves to destroy themselves by meeting this moment of pleasure, eventually that pleasure is no longer pleasurable. It's like as if you loved steak so much that uh, you ate it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. After a week, you don't really like steak that much. So you're all just going to eat it for breakfast. And after two weeks, you don't even want it for breakfast. After three weeks, because you continue to, you're forced feeding yourself to eat steak for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. After a month, just hearing the word steak once, you know, makes you want to vomit. So what happens with physical pleasure, when you're simply meeting that physical pleasure, eventually it gives you a disgusting feeling. It doesn't give you that same pleasure it initially did. So then you're looking for desires in a different way. Then it's not enough anymore. Then you have to change person. Then you have to change way. And Rabbi Nachman Breslev says that a person that meets their sexual desires on a regular basis and wastes seed, and then eventually goes with women, and meets every single one of his desires, he meets them, eventually will become a homosexual. Why? Because eventually women are not enough. All of these celebrities that came out of the closet, they weren't in the closet until they made themselves go in there. Because they literally met every single physical desire they had, they destroyed themselves, and eventually one woman wasn't enough, five women weren't enough, one marriage wasn't enough, five marriages weren't enough, one male, one this, one that. That's why there's a whole industry of people that literally have gone to such a low level, they're literally married to animals. There are three million people just in the United States alone. Why? Because they constantly meet this physical pleasure. Because the physical pleasure is... Limited. The enjoyment from it is limited, but you still want, you still remember that original Russian, you want it again, you just don't know that you can't get it. On the other hand, with spiritual pleasure, it's not as easy to attain. You cannot get it in two seconds. In fact, it's drastically harder to attain. Pleasure from your prayer, 
pleasure from your learning, pleasure from any other aspect of, of, of Torah, it's much, much more difficult to attain. But I can tell you from experience that the effect lasts for a very long time. Very, very long time, both physical, intellectual, and so on. The effect of spirituality will affect you in a much, much more impactful way to such an extent that it could literally make you turn tides in your life. It could take you from the bottom of the barrel to feeling like you're in Gan Eden. In moments. But it's a lot harder to get. It's much, much harder to get. So, I'll give you an example. In a... Writing articles, for me, is difficult. Not because... I uh, don't know how to write. Oh, Hashem, I know how to write. I've written many articles in the business world and so on. Whoever is there, can you... What is that? Whatever that is, stop it. Um, the Writing an article takes a while. It takes a while. Now, if I say, well, I tell you, listen, to take one page will take an hour. That's not really a while. But if I tell you that taking writing one page can take me 36 hours, that's a while. 36 hours of work on one page, a lot, it's a long time. A long time. Sometimes it takes that much. Sometimes it takes much less. Sometimes it takes uh, an hour. But I can tell you that one of the articles that I wrote that literally took me 36 hours to write less than two pages but it was a Torah article, the Torah was a Dvar Torah, the high that I got from it at the end with the completion and knowing that it's a good product and the pre- feedback that I got from people probably lasts for weeks. No physical pleasure could ever even can meet that for a second. Exactly. You invested a lot of time. Well, that's the thing. If you're if you're if you're in if you're doing Torah, it's never it's never wrong. You're doing if you're if you're a religious person that believes in God, then fulfilling the will of Hashem by doing His mitzvot, by learning His Torah, by uh, educating yourself about Hashem, and so on, in essence, what it means is that you're doing the best thing you can possibly do. Now, the reason why some people don't feel that pleasure, most people don't feel that pleasure, is in reality they don't really believe it. They have a suffix. They have a doubt in their belief. Is God really listening to me? I mean, he's kind of busy. Is he listening to... So the way to believe it is by taking certain actions on ourselves. By making certain changes in ourselves. By, for example, looking at what the Torah commands of us, not just of the mitzvot, but the root of the mitzvah. Why? Who? What? When? And the most important thing is learning the type of Torah that's going to lead us to change our behavior. If the Torah that's teaching, that, that we're learning, is only going to change stuff we do, like you're going to learn, okay, you have to buy an atog for Sukkot. Ah, shlecha, good for you. Okay, so you're going to eat matzah for Pesach. Okay, good for you. Most people are not going to get physical pleasure from eating matzah, or from buying an atog, or from a lulav, or from fasting on Yom Kippur. The stuff that we do exterior-wise doesn't change, doesn't do anything for us. The stuff that does do something for us is achieving things that require us to change our character traits. So for example, if you're only able to listen and learn Torah, let's say for 15 minutes straight, 
Push yourself to a half hour. You'll get a, a little bit of pleasure from the half hour. Not a lot. You're going to get a little more pleasure from half hour. Now, if you saw that a half hour has become easy to you, study for an hour straight without talking, without uh, every two seconds going to smoke break, without every two seconds take checking your phone. Then you'll see. Then you do it for two hours. Do it for two hours without talking, without chit chatting. Only dvaret Torah. Do it for two hours. If you do that, you'll feel that you're you're on cloud nine. Now you want to feel like you're in Gan Eden, no? Do it for ninety days straight. Taniti bul with learning Torah for ninety days straight for two hours. After ninety days, after ninety days, not only are you on cloud nine, but if you want a miracle to happen in your life, you'll see it. Ninety days straight, no breaks, even Yom Kippur. The type of pleasure that you will get from learning Torah is nothing. There's nothing that's going to compare to it. Why? Because if you're learning real Torah, you're thinking about things. It leads you to change certain actions that you do. You're not just learning about Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, he's the humblest guy of all time. Wow, what a good guy. I wish he was my friend. No, no. You're learning. Oh, so what made him humble? Why is he humble? How could I do it? Can I do it? Why do I do? Why don't I do it? What's how? Why? Why am I? Why would I be the opposite of Moshe? You start delving into things and seeing the positive things in the Torah. The Torah is, has it in there because we're supposed to emulate it. We're supposed to do that. The Torah tells you that Avraham Avinu cried a little bit when Sarai Menu died. The love of his life. The love of his life died. He cried a little bit, it says. Lifkota has a small kaf. And Chazal teaches us why does it have a small kaf? The Kliyakar says... As a small chaf, unusual small chaf, because it's trying to tell, tell us that Avraham Avinu, even over crying over his, the love of his life, he cried a little bit. Why? He contained himself. You're allowed to be sad, but only a little bit. Only a little bit. So we learned something from there. So, so here we have to learn, oh, I can learn a lot from this Avraham Avinu guy. I can learn a lot from this thing, that I'm allowed to be sad, but only a little bit. But on the other hand, it also has stories about Bilam. Why does it have stories about Bilam? Because we're all supposed to learn not, what not to do. Bilam was Bilam because all the power and the gifts that Hashem gave him, he wasted it. Why? On his physical desires. So what do I learn from there? I can't do that. So what physical desires do I have that I'm addicted to? Am I addicted to checking my phone every two seconds? Yes. Am I addicted to smoking cigarettes? Baruch Hashem, no. Am I addicted to uh, this? Am I addicted to all the different things? A person needs to check themselves. How am I not Bilam? Not how am I Avram? Everybody thinks that Avram. How am I not Bilam? How am I not Bilam? Start looking at Torah. The Torah has these stories. Wait, it's just fairy tales. Torah is teaching you how. What is check yourself? Check yourself. Once you start checking yourself, once you start looking into what do I do, what do I not do, and you start taking things on yourself. Oh, you know what? I'm really addicted to this phone. Oh, you know what? I'm really addicted to this internet. Oh, you know what? I'm really addicted to this money. I'm really addicted to this. I have all these bad things. I can't fix all of them. Let me pick one. Pick one. Pick one, and you'll see, the beginning it's tough. The beginning you may even start hating yourself a little bit because it's so difficult. But then, once you pass a week, you haven't wasted a seed for a week, you haven't uh, looked on the internet and uh, disgusting things for a week. You haven't, whatever the things that you're working on for a week, already you feel like, wow. I'm like, I'm tzaddik. Walk around with like, I'm tzaddik. Yeah, you see, looking down upon me, he says, wow, tzaddik. Why? You feel strong. Because you have a spiritual pleasure. Don't let it get to your head, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But the point is, Abutai, 
is that you'll get a physical you'll get a physical pleasure from the spiritual pleasure but only if you take on things if you do things not just perform like a robot so the closer you get to Hashem the more you'll start changing your life your behavior the things you say the things you don't say the things you think about the things you don't think about and so on and so forth and it'll lead you to a point where you literally feel God you don't need to believe in him anymore you feel him you feel him constantly you see him everywhere you see God everywhere constantly in everything there's no place that's why the mitzvah the Chachamim were asked what's the toughest mitzvah and some of them have said the same thing toughest mitzvah they have is not talking about Torah in the bathroom not talking about Torah in the bathroom it's the toughest mitzvah for them thinking you're allowed to think about Hashem it's not possible not to think about Hashem if you're a tzaddik, it's not possible not to think about Hashem. But you're not allowed to think about Torah, meaning to start doing sugyot and this and that, and Allah is this, somebody sends you a text, am I allowed to uh, eat on uh, pork? You're not allowed to say no. Why? It's Allah. Not allowed to answer. Not allowed to answer. It's in the bathroom. But to think about Hashem, it's not possible not to think about Hashem. Why? Because your whole life is Hashem. But that's, already you have a lot of Torah in you. If you're not, if you're not thinking about Hashem in the bathroom, if you're not thinking about Hashem during the day, if you have to be forced to think about Hashem, and you only think about Him during the bathroom, then obviously we have to work hard. But the point is, is that all of these things require a person to change. Once you change, you get the pleasure. You get the benefit. You get the miracles and so on and so forth. But without changing, the road unfortunately is straight down. Very, very good question. Why do we say we are the lowest generation if uh, all the uh, horrible things happened in the past? As Shlomo Melech says in Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun. En chadash tachat Seven times in Ecclesiastes he says this. Why? So how could we be the lowest generation if all the sins we're making today, whether they be sex crimes or idolatry or chilul uh, Shabbat, all of it existed in the past. So why, why are we the worst generation? Because the generation of knowledge at Mount Sinai had a lot more Torah than we did. Had a lot closer relationship with Hashem than we do. Same thing with the relationship that Am Yisrael had at Bet HaMikdash. The first one, the second one, and even the previous generation from us. You didn't have to teach people an enormous amount of Yirat Shamaim 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Most people had it. Most people that committed sin, it wasn't because they had no Yirat Shamaim. It was simply because they had Te'avon, they had desires... And they wanted to meet their desires. Today, you tell people, yeah, Yirat Shemaim. Like, yeah, what is that? Is that a new phone? What is Yirat Shemaim? Is that a new app? What is this Yirat Shemaim you keep talking about? So it's fear of Hashem. It's like, why should I be scared of Hashem? Why should I be scared of Hashem? He's my friend. I love him. When a person doesn't understand that they're obligated to actually fear Hashem, then literally they don't understand Hashem. They don't understand anything. And that's why it's one of the mitzvot. That's why it's one of the mitzvot in the Torah that Hashem tells us even in this parasha. In this parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu says in Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, uh, verse 10. Moshe, Moshe says to Am Yisrael, V'ashmiyem et dvarai asher ilmedun li'iraoti kol hayamim asher em chaim ala adama ve'et b'nei milamedun. 
שמשה רבנו יסס את העם ישראל, that Hashem told them, let them hear my words, so that they shall learn to fear me all the days of their life on earth, and they shall teach their children. It doesn't say you should teach all the kids to love me. It doesn't say you should teach all the kids, uh, teach yourself to love me. It doesn't say that, one word. Teach what? Fear me. Why? Reshit chokhmah, yirat Hashem. Beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. If you don't fear Hashem, you have no connection to Him. So what about all those people that say, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, but I don't fear Him. They have a different Hashem. Why? Because the real Hashem runs the world. That means He's running the cosmos. He's running the 1,700 miles an hour approximately spinning speed of earth, where if we would stop for a second, we have a serious problem. The spinning atoms that are make up everything, including us, and everything in between. The Parnassah, the Zivug, the kids, the education, the, the world, the atomic bombs, the Palestinians, the terrorists, the friends, the enemies, the food, whether you're going to live tomorrow, whether you're going to this, whether you everything he controls, everything. If you don't fear that, then you're simply crazy. Yeshoteh, patuf mitzvot. You don't have to do mitzvot. You're crazy. Crazy, put you in a crazy house. Ababa Ned in Yerushalayim, they put you there, do-do-do, finished. Adolf, they have a place for you. Free. Government pays for it. But that's the thing. Yirat Shamayim, Rabotai, that is the foundation of the beginning of our relationship with Hashem. Eventually, our goal is to get to loving Hashem and so on and so forth. But ideally, we need to know that we need to fear Him. We need, that's how we start our relationship with Him. We know what we're dealing with. Yeah. He asked me the question for a second. So, Moshe Rabbeinu answers that question too. If you continue forward, he says this, in verse 23, same chapter 4, 15, 15 verses forward, he says, Yishamru lachem, pentishkechu et abrit Adonai Eloechem, asher karat imachem ve'asitem lachem pesel t'munat kol asher tzivecha Adonai Eloecha. So the verse says the following. He says, Beware for yourselves, lest you forget the covenant, the Brit of Hashem, your God, and that He has sealed with you, that He has sealed with you, and you make for yourselves a carved image, the likeness of anything, as Hashem your God has commanded you, for Hashem, your God, He is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, a consuming fire doesn't sound like something I shouldn't be scared of. The English or the Hebrew? English. Beware for yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of Hashem, your God, that He has sealed with you. And you make for yourselves a carved image, a likeness of anything, as Hashem your God has commanded you. 
For Hashem, your God, He is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, here we see, literally, Moshe Rabbeinu explaining to Am Yisrael, Hashem is not your buddy. Hashem is not somebody you should mess with. He's a consuming fire. Consuming fire is enough imagery, enough of a description to realize it's scary. It's scary. If we would have said, listen, Hashem, he's like a care bear. You know, you hug him. He's like one of the Pillsbury doughboy. And you could like, you know, yeah, he's so cute. No, he doesn't say that. What did he say? Consuming fire. Why? Because fire is scary even for the blind. I'm scared of fire. Even the crazy are scared of fire. Everyone's scared of fire. Why? Because fire is scary. He's a consuming fire. What's mean he's a consuming fire? It means the fire eats people. You play with fire, he's going to eat you. So obviously, this literally means we're supposed to be scared of him. Now, what is this scary? What is this scary is, to answer your question, the f- beginning of Yirat Shemaim is fear of punishment. Tachlis, bottom line. Fear that he will punish you. That's the beginning. What kind of punishment? Number one, punishment in this world. A person is scared that if he does such and such, he's going to fall and die. He's going to fall and break a leg. He's going to get sick. He's going to have some huge cancer coming out of his head. He's going to get into a car accident. His wife's going to leave him. His, his, the kids are going to turn out homosexuals. His job is going to fire him. All the horrible things that happen in life. All the horrible things that happen to life. He's scared of all that stuff. That's fear. Fear of punishment. The other fear of punishment is fear of genom. Now most people, unfortunately, don't know about genom unless they've attended my shuhim. And they hear from other rabbis, they say, no, no, it's not such a bad place. It's like a, it's like a washing machine. It sounds like pleasure. It sounds like fun. I want to go there. I want this washing machine to keep talking about. I want to go there. Because according to the genome that I read about, it's no washing machine. There's nothing washing about it. As you guys attended, I think all of you guys, with the exception of you, attended the show about genome. It's as scary as scary can be. And by the way, I didn't tell you 1% of what it really is. Like you guys were all scared. Baruch Hashem, there's thousands of people who have done tshuva. Thousands of people have done tshuva because of that shiur. Thousands have done tshuva. It's probably the number one shiur we have. Thousands of people have done tshuva because of the shiur. Why? It's like, whoa, it's not a washing machine. It's not a washing machine. There's no washing here. It's fire. So now, being scared of genom, but most people don't know, and they go to, they hear other rabbis talk about genom, and it's uh, complete lies. Those people have a separate uh, place in genom, the people that teach such things. So that's, that's the... First level of fear is fear of punishment in this world and fear of punishment in the next world. Now, once a person develops a solid relationship with Hashem, he wants to do his will. Number one, because he doesn't want to get punished. Number two, because once he starts doing it, he starts feeling pleasure as a result of doing it. He sees that his wife is working out, he sees that all of a sudden things make sense, that even if he has problems, he knows there's a reason for it. He knows that someone is running the show. He knows that at the end it's only going to work out because Abba Bashamayim is taking care of things. And even though I don't have any money in the bank right now, somehow at the end of the month I'm going to have it because Hashem has to pay the bills. And even though I can't have a kid right now, I know that Hashem is going to miraculously bring one. And even though I'm single right now, eventually Hashem is going to send me when it's exactly the right time to get married, and so on and so forth. He knows that Hashem runs the show. 
When he does his mitzvot, he's connected to Hashem. He knows Hashem runs the show. He starts wanting to do the mitzvot. He does the mitzvot, number one, because he doesn't want to get punished. Number two, because he starts feeling pleasure out of doing it. Eventually, as he continues to learn about Yirat Shemayim, and he continues to develop his midot, and so on and so forth, he starts developing a very close relationship with Hashem. Where now, he feels such pleasure as a result of this relationship with Hashem that he's scared of losing it. It's not so much scared of punishment, where he's always scared of punishment. Every normal human being is scared of punishment. You don't drive really fast on the highway because you're scared of losing your license. You don't punch uh, people in the face randomly just because you feel like it because you're scared of going to jail. We don't do a lot of things because we're scared. Same thing with Hashem. But that's not the real reason. That's not really your modus operandi. That's not really the reason why you're doing it. Why? You don't want to hurt the relationship. A husband or a wife, they don't not yell at each other and treat each other with respect and so on because they're scared of each other. They're scared of hurting each other. And you get to that level of fear. You get to a fear that you're afraid of hurting Hashem. If I do something against him, he's going to take offense to it. Why? He gave me a wife. He gave me a kid. He gave me another kid. He gave me a house. He gave me food. He gave me oxygen. He gave me this. He gave me so much. I didn't give him nothing. So at the very least, the least I can do is not go against him. I'm giving him nothing. You know, by the way, none of you are giving him anything. Nobody's giving him anything. He has everything. Hashem says, everything is mine. All you can give him is Jews. Give him more Jews to do tshuva. More of his kids come back home. It's the only thing you can give Hashem. Everything else you give yourself. So now Rabotai was saying to Hashem, oh, he's giving me everything and I'm going to go against him? No, so at least I'm not going to go against him. So now when a person develops this relationship with Hashem, that he's close to Hashem, he doesn't want to hurt it. He doesn't want to hurt that relationship. That's yirat alumut. That is fear of hurting the relationship. Fear of His majesty. Not fear of Him hitting you. Fear of hurting this magi- magical relationship you have with Him. It's like a husband and a wife. And that, Rabotai Chazal explained, is the beginning of loving Him. Meaning the lowest level of fear is fear of pure punishment. The highest level of fear is fear of hurting the relationship. And that highest level of fear is the beginning of loving Hashem. It's the beginning of loving Him. Meaning that all of those people that say they love Hashem or they want to teach about loving Hashem, if they have the highest level of fear of Hashem, good, for the most part, they don't. Why do I, why do I think they don't? It's not that I think. Rabbi Nachman Breslov says it in Lekutem Maharan. He says, loving Hashem is not relevant to most people in the generation. He was talking about his generation. And he goes, and I'm talking about tzaddikim. He's not talking about chilonim. There's no chilonim around them. He's not hanging out with chilonim. He's not hanging out with people uh, walking around with uh, hookahs. He's talking about tzaddikim. He says, tzaddikim, he says, Lekutem Maharan, look at it. He says, loving Hashem is not relevant to most people. All you got to teach them, all you got to tell them, all they should expect is fear Hashem. That's it. In his generation, what about us? So to answer your question in regards to why we call, why, why, is, it, why, why is this generation the worst generation if all the sins happened in the past? It's because we don't have the same Torah as they did. We don't have the same Yirat Shemaim as they did. So even though the actions that we have, the sins we have today are no different than the sins we had back then, we don't have the same measure of holiness that they did. So it's not as balanced. But that's also 
why if a person does a mitzvah today, it counts drastically more than a person doing a mitzvah in the past. Because a person that does a mitzvah today, it's like a candle in a completely dark cave. Whereas in the past, it wasn't a dark cave, it was relatively light. So if you lit a candle, okay, we see you, good job, hi, nice. But it wasn't such a big deal, you did a mitzvah. What was a big deal? If you're Tana. The Tana, you're a big deal. You're a regular guy, you did mitzvah, you bought an etrog, okay, yeah, kolakavod, yeah, good job, okay, finished. But if you're Tana, if you're big Talmichacham, okay, big deal. Today, you don't need to be big Tana. You don't need to be a big Talmichacham. All you do is Shomer Mitzvot, Shomer Torah, Shomer, basics. Keep basics, you get the Mashiach. Don't keep basics, you get the candle. It's finished. Yeah, but isn't it I said, you don't need to be a Tana in order to be great. You could just be an average person. The average person can be a giant in Olam Ha'emet. The average person can be an amazing, amazing person. An average person can reach their own full potential. You're not paid a reward for being Moshe Rabbeinu. You're paid a reward for being the full potential of you. Where do we learn this from? Rabbi Zusha Minapoli was one of the greatest in his generation. A person that never spent a second being unhappy. A person that was completely glued to Hashem. And they, one, of, one day his Talmidim asked him, Kvod Arav, what are you scared of? He said, I'm scared of uh, not being Zusha. And he said, what do you mean, Kvod Arav, not to being Zusha? You're, you're, what does that mean? He says, because I know that when I go up to Shemaim, they're not going to ask me, why weren't you Moshe Rabbeinu? They're not going to ask me, why weren't you like Rabbi Akiva? They're not going to ask me that. What are they going to ask me? They ask me, how come you weren't Zusha? Meaning, we gave you, we gave you a certain, Hashem Barach gave you a certain amount of wisdom, a certain amount of Kedusha, a certain amount of good Midot, a certain amount of Yetzirah, a certain amount of Kaparat Avonot, a certain amount of, 20 pounds of this, 20 pounds of this, 20 pounds of this. Why didn't you use all of it? Why did you only use the bad stuff? Why did you only use half of it? Why did you waste all of it? Meaning, I'm only worried about not being the full potential of me. And the full potential of me can be Zusha. So until each one of us reaches the full potential of us, unfortunately we are lacking. So you can be a big tzaddik in your level. I can be a big tzaddik in my level. She can be a big tzaddikah in her level. And so on and so forth. No one should start looking, Oh, Rabbi Akiva, I'm not going to be happy until I become him. You can't be Rabbi Akiva. And even if you wanted to, even if you lived in his generation. Why? You're not Rabbi Akiva. But you can be Jacob. You can be this. You can be that. You can be you. Every person is paid a handsome reward for being the full potential of them. So if your capacity is to, let's say, absorb 10 pounds of Torah a day, that's what you need. That's what's expected of you. That's what's expected of you. Not a pound more, not a pound less. So if you're, expect, if you're able to consume 10 pounds of Torah, but you only consume half a pound, then in Shammai they say, you wasted your life. You wasted your life. You gave me the ability to consume 10 pounds of Torah, you consumed a half a pound. What did you do? Why did you come to the world? Waste of life. Waste of life. 
That's why the Gaon Mivina says, a person needs to understand that his midot is everything. If he doesn't fix his midot, why'd you come to the world? For what? What'd you live for? If you didn't fix your midot, there's no point to your life. You're no different than a cow. The Gemara Masechet Barachot says, what's the difference between a human being and a cow? Torah. So if there's no Torah, there's no midot. If there's no midot, you're a cow. As a matter of fact, the cow is better. And that's why the Gemara Masechet Psachim says, page 49a, says that if you do not fix your midot, you don't learn Torah, you're not allowed to eat meat. Why? The meat's better than you. It's a cow. It does more. Really good. What are you doing? What are you doing? Nothing. There's no purpose. There's no purpose for a person if he doesn't fix himself. That's why. A person needs to understand. Stop looking at Moshe Rabbeinu as if you're going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Stop looking at Rabbi Zusha as if you're going to be Rabbi Zusha. Be you. But at least be the best version of you. What's the best version of you? Start working on the things that are hard for you to do. It's hard for you to get over a certain desire. That's the one you need to work on. Work on it, work on it, work on it until you get to a point where you're disgusted by the sin. Once you got to a point where you're disgusted by the sin, already you're good. You're good. Continue working on it forever, but already you're good. You've done serious chuba on that. Obviously, start taking other things on. You have certain addictions. You have certain desires. You have certain things. You have to start taking these things on. Why? Because each one of them is a diamond. Each one of them, imagine, for example, you have, let's say, ten diamonds. Each diamond is a character trait that's expected of you to fix in Shemaim. Hashem gave you, okay, I gave you all these tools. I gave you a hundred pound worth of tools. That hundred pounds is supposed to fix all ten of these character flaws. So you fix one, there's a diamond there. You fix the other, there's a diamond there. Each time you have a diamond, you go up to Shemaim and say, wow, you're rich. Oh, we're rich, I have no money. Oh, look, you have diamonds. You fix those midot. But if you go up there and you didn't fix anything, I tell you, ah, oh, here's, here's the bum. Here's the bum. What you need? Staka? No staka up here. Go back in the Gilgu, collect some money. So that's the thing. A person needs to needs to understand that spirituality is a lot more fulfilling because it requires a lot more work, but it also has a lot more pleasure. Has a lot more pleasure. Next. We said that tomorrow night, Bezad Hashem, we're going to have another shiur, uh, continue this Mishnah, there's a lot more to go, there's, there's parasha, there's the Mishnah, there's uh, most likely going to be multiple shiurim about this same Mishnah. Uh, hopefully we'll have some more good news tomorrow as well, Bezad Hashem. Again, remember to read the Alona Kodesh and also sign up to the uh, uh, new application, Bezad Hashem. Uh, it's on the uh, App Store. And also, if you want to distribute CDs in your community, uh, send an email, tell me a little bit about your community, who you are. If I don't know you, we'll send you 100 free CDs with other Hashem that you give them out. If you uh, do it, do it well, where you send us a picture, or look, this is the community, this is the coffee shop, this is the synagogue, this is, I put here, I put here, but we see it, actually something's happening there. I'm more than happy to send you more, but again, uh, I see a lot of times we send CDs to people and uh, it's, it's not the money because most of them don't, you know, 99% of the CDs that we print out, nobody pays for it. You know, people don't pay for it, but other people donate. Hashem sends me the, the interesting people. The people that donate don't want the CDs. The people that want the CDs don't donate. So we make, mix and match. We mix and match, Baruch Hashem. But the point is that we give them out for free. We want to give them out for free. We want people to do chuvado, Not for them to sit in your garage. Yes. Yeah, where is this year tomorrow? Uh, 
Aventura. Oh, the Aventura place. Aventura, yeah, down the street. Ken, Ken, the one that you have to uh, RSVP on. Yes. Did you RSVP? Okay. The RSVP for, for tomorrow? Ken, just make sure. Make sure you send an email. Make sure that... I would do it again anyway. I would do it again to make sure to tell them that, uh, that you're coming because it's a house and it's a, it's a gated community. So we should tell them that you're coming. So when you go there, they, uh, they let you in. Yeah, we've had it a couple of times where people came and they didn't let them in. They're very strict at the uh, gated.